I don't know if you saw this, but CNN got upset with the internet for making fun of CNN. They had a, uh, a town hall, one of their town hall conversations where they bring in like experts and talk about certain things. And they were talking about the coronavirus. So they were talking about COVID and they had like two experts in their field. One was a doctor. Uh, I believe the other one was a uh, biologist. And then they also had uh, Greta Thunberg. <laughs> and I went, <laughs> what? Wow. So, so two experts and a child. That, that makes a lot of sense. And what's really funny Thanks is that make a then they got, <laughs> then they got mad and said that people here are, you know, picking fun at a child. No, they're picking fun at you for using a child. She's 17 years old. She could be criticized the moment she started having an opinion about the real world that she doesn't understand. <laughs> so at 17, all, I'm sorry, at 17, all bets are off. You know, you start having a, you start being able to voice your opinion out into the public congratulations welcome to the world well that and the fact that you presenting her as an expert in the field yeah um, well that's the funny thing is seen as like we never we never said she was an expert in the field but why are you having her on there to talk about covid she wasn't an expert to talk to talk about climate change even to the un and yet yet and yet the un had her on there and you thought it was a good idea to have her on there to talk about covid something she does not understand at all brilliant then uh, CNN had the audacity to tell everybody, how dare you pick on, basically, how dare you pick on a child? And I, my first thought was, well, you guys pick on Trump all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Where, where's the line here, guys? <laughs> we can't, you're telling me it's okay to pick on one baby and not another one? Hmm. Really? In 2011, theorizing that one could make an entertaining podcast... The Geek Out Heroes stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. When they woke, they found themselves trapped in your present, facing political correctness and social justice warriors who were determined to kill humor and joy. Now the GOH are driven by an unknown force to laugh in the face of stupidity and make jokes anyway. Their only guide on this journey is Steve, a listener from their own time, who seems to be just as deranged as they are. And so the Geek Out heroes find themselves leaping from topic to topic, trying to set right what once went wrong, and hoping each time, their next cast will be better than the last. Heroes, this is Vargo. Miles. And I'm back. It's Steve. <laughs> <laughs> he remembered his name this time. Good. We don't have to use yes. cue cards. 
Uh, I might still need them for some things. <laughs> <laughs> don't use the teleprompter. So uh, <laughs> I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully this is still relevant by the time we post the podcast. But uh, Miles found a pretty good deal this morning. What was it? Yeah. So CD Keys, uh, if you're not aware, is a site that you can usually get discounted games or uh, membership codes, premium currencies, stuff like that. Uh, digital codes for a little bit cheaper. Um, this isn't necessarily an ad for them since we don't get paid for ads. <laughs> yeah. But uh, PlayStation uh, one year membership for PlayStation Plus is uh, 50% off right now. Uh, Vargo and I both doubled up on ours. That way we're good for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, you usually only see 50% off from them every like once or twice every year if you're lucky. Uh, so it's a good time to snag it. Usually it's in the middle of the year and they're doing kind of an early thing this time, I think. Yeah. You know, I kind of wonder if uh, maybe just because they're getting enough business that they're throwing some out there because they know people are online a lot as of yeah. late. But uh, I mean, I pretty much always go through them for both my Xbox Live and my PlayStation memberships because they're always at least like five bucks cheaper. So I've never paid i haven't paid full price for uh, an online membership and i don't even know how many years now but yeah it's cd keys check it out is that what you sent me earlier yeah that's what i sent you earlier okay cool um I'll check it out because the nice thing is i think sony lets you stockpile them for like two or three years yeah i was trying and, to uh, find an actual uh answer for that you know how long how many it allows you to stack and i couldn't tell find you. any definitive answer yeah it'll tell you in the uh uh, I think their subscriptions page uh, for your subscription. It'll tell you like the max yeah. you're allowed to have on there. It's like a little asterisk. Gotcha. Yeah. Even, even if you just bought like two to three years now and you couldn't use them right away, those, those codes don't expire. So right. that's the plus side. Meanwhile, in <laughs> gaming news, a lot of stuff's been happening this past week. And uh, unfortunately I think it's going to lead us to a long podcast. So I'm sorry right away, <laughs> but to get us started off, uh, Bethesda made uh, an announcement that they are bringing out or like coming out with a season pass style of uh, of, a, of event uh, that they're going to be doing this summer, where they give you rewards for playing. You know, you kind of you know increase in XP every two hours, very similar to what uh, Bungie's already been doing with Destiny. Um, but the the thing that was a little alarming was the fact that they said the summer version of this is free. And then they left it at that. And it goes, well, you're you're planning on continuing this, obviously. So does that mean the next one after this isn't free? You're going to start asking people for money? So don't be surprised if that's it. That's what ends up happening. If Bethesda goes, yeah, we want 10 bucks for the next season. So here's a little bit of advice to Bethesda really quick. Um, you guys need to think about this a little more in the in the aspect of, you need to provide something for people who continue continue to play who don't buy it, and you need to provide something for the people who do. That's a little more of, a, of an incentive, much like what what Bungie has done. I will say that Bungie has handled their their season pass drops very well because they have like <clears throat> when they start out like with the free version, it's very incentivizing because you get uh, a lot of stuff to begin with, even if you don't pay. And then you see below that of what you get when you do pay. And there's a lot of stuff of like where you get double, you you basically get double rewards. So it's very <clears throat> intelligently done to try and increase business and basically, you know, get more money. Uh, 
but on top of that, it is at least a nice uh, thing of like, you know, hey, as you as you get XP, it's no longer you're just getting like, you know, I think before we used to get like these engrams that were pretty much worthless. Uh, Cosmetic stuff. Yeah. yeah. And uh, now we get, you know, actual rewards where, you know, hey, you can get a cosmetic here. Hey, you get a, you know, piece of armor there. Uh, here's an exotic engram, you know, at level like 30 or 40. That kind of stuff. Not to mention the uh, passive yeah. bonuses. The ornaments and skins yeah. and uh, just, I just hit level 100. So yeah. just uh, got all the stuff. And that's- so, and then, you know, then you add on, if you buy the season pass, you get, you know, more with that. So uh, Bungie's very smart about how they go, okay, we're going to reward our regular players, but we're also going to reward our season pass player, like owners. So people who are essentially... Uh, from you know supporting content supporting new content and supporting new seasons uh, and events are getting more benefit out of it and people who who can't do that uh, or don't want to still get something out of it for playing um i think that's a smart way to go and i think bethesda you, you guys kind of need to look at how other systems are done and i know that this is asking you to, to play as somebody else's game and you you know you genuinely don't even play your own game so uh, it's probably <laughs> asking a lot but I, I highly encourage you to go look at what other companies are doing with that and, and try to model yourself after systems that work. With that said, if they don't provide something for people who just go into play and they want more money in the future to participate in the season stuff, that'll be a big misstep. Now, is this for Fallout? Or? Yep, this is for Fallout 76. Sorry. Okay. The, the only game that they can do a season pass with. <laughs> uh <laughs> I don't know if maybe they cooked something up for uh, Doom or something. Oh, no, they've ruined Doom. We'll get into that. Uh, <laughs> with Fallout 76, a- asking for more money going further uh, and not fixing your, like, creating new systems that are going to be end up presenting monetization uh, without fixing your game presents uh, another open opportunity for criticism from a lot of your fans. And the thing that's weird is people who are going onto the forums and going, why would you, you know, why would you introduce this? And also, you know, uh, so I forgot to mention this. And when I was talking about this earlier, sorry, uh, with, with this new season stuff, they're going to nerf the even more now, even though they've already done this, but they're going to nerf the amount of, uh, atoms that you've been getting for the atomic shop. Cause they've been so generous so far. It, exactly. And the, the thing <laughs> is, is, Atoms were a regular, you know, those those were a regular uh, like daily thing that people could do to participate in the season pass stuff is going to kind of going to replace that a lot. And every now and with the season pass, you'll get you'll you'll get atom drops as well. But a lot of people are asking this. This is a really bad question to ask. Why would you do this? Why would you why would you, you know, take away atoms or the, the atoms uh, reward for doing dailies and re, you know, replace it with this. Um, if you're one of those listeners or if you're one of those people asking that listeners uh, money, don't you understand how that works? Like <laughs> people, pe- people, people who, who don't get the thing that costs the thing that costs real world money will have to then spend money to get the, the, the fake stuff in the game. So if, if you want more things from the atom shop, you have to spend more atoms. If you want more atoms, you have to buy more atoms. That's literally what they're doing. So instead of creating a system where you get atoms for free, 
they're now creating a system where you get some stuff for free with the season pass stuff. But overall, you're going to have to spend money to, to get the other cosmetics that you want because they're not looking at putting a lot of cosmetics or even past cosmetics into the uh, season drops. So do, do you see how that correlates? We, you know, Bethesda wants more money. Zenimax wants them to make more money. They need more money to, to keep Fallout 76, you know, broken. That's how that works. Um, but anyways, Bethesda, uh, in true fashion, uh, decided to set their sights on Doom Eternal. After all the the fans that were so excited over the fact that Doom Eternal came out and to everyone's ecstatic glee, it came out and it wasn't overly broken. It appears Bethesda keep or kept a lot of their hands off of things, aside from what happened with uh, Mick Gordon. And it seems like uh, Id was actually able to make a, a, a good game. And then they decided to just, with their latest patch, add de novo anti-cheat software. And uh, while people were upset about that, they were more upset about the fact that de novo anti-cheat was installed at the kernel level priority zero, which uh, <laughs> Steve, as you know, uh, working in, you know, working in your field and I know uh, working with computers and in going into my field that kernel level priority zero uh, is not where you put any software uh, in control of your system. I can't stop laughing. <laughs> yeah. You can't stop anything if somebody gets control of the program. So this is a big security problem. And uh, I had recently gotten a copy of doom eternal on my PC and this news comes out and I go, all right, well that's coming off now. That's gone. Uh, immediately asking uh, steam for a refund. Bethesda, like seriously, I don't, I, I don't know how to kindly say this at all, but if I were sitting in front of all of you right now, I would, I would be absolutely out of my mind, pissed off with you face to face. You cannot be this dumb of a company and still be in business. You've got to be fucking kidding me. I just wonder what. I, okay, when when they're making that patch and that's where they're going to prioritize placing it. Yeah. Like why? Why does it have to be there? Right. I I, I don't I, I don't understand the logic behind putting it there and and. And I haven't seen anything on it, so I don't I haven't seen like what the reasoning they, they've given as to why it needs to be there. But like, it, but it, yeah, it's, there's no it's good anti yeah it's anti cheat software. There's no way you need to give anti cheat software that kind of priority level ever. Yeah, <laughs> to to monitor cheating. That's just yeah. Wow, it blew my mind when I saw that. I went, you seriously. When they said it was de novo anti cheat, I went, "Ah, oh, really?" And like that, there, there's first of all, de novo is like they, they, it's cracked within like the first two weeks of it coming out, almost ninety percent, you know, over ninety percent of the time. So having it on there is completely pointless to begin with. But then they said with the kernel priority zero, and I went, "What? <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, that." That's by far the worst thing I've ever heard. So good job, guys. You you effectively ruined Doom Eternal and its online capabilities. Fantastic job. Uh, I'm hoping that Steam gives me or sends me a, a message back 
saying that I've I've been refunded all of my money. And, and, and I'm not a I'm not a developer at all. Uh, but I've been learning a lot about uh, how developers do things, and not not just you know game developers, but like programming devs and yeah. yeah, and code devs in general. And it's just like the amount of review that should be going into something like this, and how many people checked off on yes, this is okay, let's push. Yes, right. it's okay, let's push, or just completely ignored it till it got to the point where, hey, we're pushing our new new. Uh, New line of code. Yeah, I want to know. I want to know whose decision this was that they went through and they said, "Hey, I'm going to consult our technical team and find out if this is a good idea," or was it, "Hey, we need to stop cheating and make sure that we uphold our de novo contract. We're just going to put this in without any conversation with anyone else." It, like, I, I really do want to know what was the conversation that happened behind the scenes. Like, how did how did this happen? Good question. PC fans are legitimately and rightfully so very pissed off. A lot of people have pointed out the fact that uh, as soon as it happened, their system started having massive frame rate drops. Like it just sounds like a really bad idea. Didn't, I mean, DeNovo makes terrible software in my opinion for anti-piracy and the amount of like people who sit there, Oh, it's circumstantial evidence. It, all of it's circumstantial evidence until you can actually see the code work. Like unless you could actually sit there and see the code working and see that it's actually detrimental to the game. So you have to base it off of other people's experience. And when you have a overwhelming number of people sitting there going, it's detrimental to the, to my system as I'm running the game and this at the same time. Yeah. You have people from or riot games who made uh, league of legends. You have people from League of Legends, as soon as DeNovo went into effect, their frame rates tanked, their performance tanked on their system. You can't tell me that suddenly a game that's been out for that long suddenly had an update that caused caused problems that wasn't your anti-piracy software. It's completely flabbergasting. I was so frustrated like watching that. I was just like, man, Bethesda, we really, really liked you for a long time. What happened? I went Minnesota on that one. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> moving on to other things, and what are the big, you know, the biggest reason why we have Steve here is to talk a little bit about Destiny. And uh, before I go into uh, other like other things, like basically concerns for as Destiny moves forward, I wanted to talk about their latest uh, news that they dropped uh, in their weekly update. So. Listeners, really quick, in case you don't know this, uh, Bungie does put out a weekly update to let their, uh, you know, let let their public know, hey, this is what we're doing with the game. This is how we're moving forward. These are some of the changes to come. And one thing that I have to give credit to Bungie is the fact that they are extremely vocal and very uh, clear on what they plan on doing moving forward. And since they do it week to week, uh, we actually get to see as plans change, why they change and what they, you know, what they're what their reasoning behind it is rather than uh, what we normally get from developers. Like I hate to use him as a punching bag, but uh, Pete Hines, where he tells us forever that things are going to be free and everything's going to be cosmetic on uh, fallout 76. And then things change. And by the way, I forgot to, I forgot to do this at the beginning of the podcast. I have to call myself out for being a liar. (laughs) Uh, We just talked about it. Yeah, I forgot. I like I forgot. Well, I forgot we weren't actually on. Like we weren't actually doing the podcast. I I brought it up before we had started recording. Uh, so 
uh, listeners really quick. I'm a liar because about two, two weeks ago, I said that we weren't going to be doing a podcast this week and we're totally doing a podcast this week <laughs> because things changed and a lot of announcements happened. So that's why <laughs> hopefully we can take a break next week. Uh, we'll just have to see how summer, you know, the summer of games is going on YouTube. And uh, if Sony decides to come out of a rock and show us the console that we've all been waiting to see. <laughs> but anyways, uh, back to uh, Bungie with their communication, they do some great things. And uh, Steve, you were the one that brought it up, brought it up to us. So I want you to take the uh, the reins on it and tell us what's happening. All right. Well, first, it used to not always be this way with with Bungie and Destiny. This um, is true. And <laughs> I mean, you, you probably remember yeah. the, the days of I don't know what's going on, you know, <laughs> so it's, it's taken them several years to get to where uh, they are now, um, and, and it's much appreciated. And in fact, they've, they've been even more communicative uh, yeah. since uh, they're they're split with Activision. So um, it, it's nice to actually be able to, to read about this and talk about it. Um, but uh, yeah, they, they started going into a lot of the changes that are going to come out over the next couple seasons um, and as we get get into the new. Uh, the new year um, and the next uh, part of destiny. And uh, so, you know, talking about uh, the, I think the biggest thing about it was the uh, what they're doing with the weapon systems um, and, you know, how they're going to be sunsetting uh, what weapons uh, and, and giving them their, their, as they like to say, their, their time to shine and be powerful and then um, moving on from them. And uh, I, I think a lot of people are, are split yeah. on, you know, what they think about it. It seemed the um, comments were very know, up and down. <laughs> yep. Um, you know, and it, from from my take, you know, having still having played Destiny 2 since it launched and, and kept with it, um, even as uh, you guys dropped off. Uh, and left me by myself. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> Not our fault. No worries. <laughs> no, I know. I know. Um, you know, it, it, it under, totally understand the reasons, um, you know, and I've given you my reasons for staying, yeah. but yeah, it, it just, it, I don't know. I, I actually am looking forward to it, you know, because mm-hmm. right now destiny, at least this season, this season hasn't been the best. Um, and probably the weakest at, out of all of them since they've gone to the seasonal model. Yeah, based um, off of what the, I've heard from the past two seasons, the past two seasons seasons were actually really fun and really cool uh, yeah. events, and and had some really cool drops. And then this season with the uh, Guardian Games was really lackluster. So like we we actually were coming back yeah. in at a kind of a bad point. Yeah. <laughs> which is funny because you were like oh yeah we're, we're starting and we're playing and i'm going through forsaken and it's awesome i'm like oh yeah and i was like oh at least he hasn't gotten to uh <laughs> forsaken is so good <laughs> the, the like current, i could not believe how cool season. forsaken was uh, yeah which which upset me because you guys didn't come back for it and then i was like man i wish they were playing during this because you know like like some of the things that you miss with the the weekly rotations of you know getting to go visit marasov and and, you know, the messages and, and the progression of the story and some of the cinematics and all that, you know, it's just like, man. Yeah, it was just really hard I to come back after Osiris, after that, uh, the Osiris oh, content yeah. dropped. And, uh, oh, absolutely. And the Warmind was so, sh- was so short. We were just sitting there going, that was it? Like, we were we were really yeah. burned burned by that. So. Yeah. And it, and it just, just 
I mean, at least you get to uh, to catch up on it, you know, with, through things like um, um, my name is Bife on YouTube and and yeah, uh, his, other his content creators uh, that that can at least get you up to date mm-hmm. on what you miss. But I mean, yeah, it was it was such a good time, um, and, and then to come back and it's like, well, we got Guardian Games, uh, we got the Seraph Towers that are frustrating and annoying and uh these bunkers that we gotta upgrade and that go really slow um it's just i was like okay i mean i i haven't seen the community like bag on a season this bad since yeah even like you know you you bring up the fact that they started bagging on this season and like they even give more fodder to that recently with what's going on with the uh the event and in the lie. Oh yeah. They just add these ridiculous freaking tasks for people to, to complete. And it's just insane. And they attach it to a public event that nobody wants to participate in. I mean, seriously, who was the genius that sat there and went, you know what? Let's attach this to our Seraph towers that nobody wants to play. Yeah. And we'll make the requirement so ridiculous that it can't be obtained for like 140 days. (laughs) (laughs) And then when they find out, Oh, it was a math error. I mean, at this point, what what kind of math are you doing? Or was it actually just a meth error? Yeah. I mean, I haven't <laughs> seen the community bag on a season this bad since, like, even the season of The Drifter. Uh, hmm. And, you know, to me, like, that was one of my favorite seasons because it focused on Gambit Prime. And, you know, I I, I did the grind to, to get Reckoner. but uh, Yeah, which it, apparently it, had been nerfed to, yeah. to hell and back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, so... That- Go, going into your going into their discussion of how they're how they're changing on weapons. Speaking of weapons, yeah. since they're yes. you know, since they're letting these weapons kind of die off, uh, the old ones, I should say. Um, don't don't punish the gamers that love that weapon and have that yeah. weapon. Uh, I think it's I think okay. it's immoral for them to put out these weapons and then say we're going to light level cap them for for after four seasons, so that we l- remove the incentive to continue to use them, and. And, but but on top of that, we're gonna do level balancing while while we're going for the next four seasons. I think that's I think that's wrong. Well, and if you look at like a lot of the the weapons, even over the last two seasons that have actually been pretty good, um, with their change from you know actually giving you pinnacle weapons like recluse, mountaintop, things like yeah. that, to the, some of the other the quest uh, weapons that you know like buzzard buzzard was is actually a really good um, sidearm, but. It, they're not overpowered like like Reckless. Like you know, Reckless they nerfed. It's actually still a great gun, um, but you know they haven't designed anything like th- anything that can be game breaking like that since. It's all been very vanilla yeah. and very to a a okay. We, we we can't push perks. We can't push different things because it's going to break the game. Now. You know, some people that are optimistic, including myself, like, okay, well, maybe they'll start introducing um, weapons that have better perks that will push the envelope a little bit. And if it breaks the game for a little bit, it breaks the game. But at least they're trying, you know, to do something different instead of, okay, we have the, you know, the normal hand cannon with these perks. And, okay, once you get that roll... You know, well, I've already got that role. But from, here's the thing. Based off know, of what I've seen for Reckoner and what happened with it, <clears throat> it wasn't game breaking. It just made PVE easier. <laughs> it it balanced, in my opinion, it was it was an equalizer for higher level, higher level enemies. So when they sit there and they say, oh, it's game breaking, it's game breaking to Bungie because it means your progression increases. It has nothing to do with 
it actually, you know, harming the game. It doesn't hurt your progression. It hurts Bungie's slowing you down. And they even mentioned the fact of like trying to prevent uh, or them doing this to try and balance out game creep for the game. Well, the thing is, is you guys introduce game creep. It's uh, you can fix that without having to do this. So when you brought it, like when you brought up like how the newest latest drops have been very uh, vanilla. Yeah. The reason why gamers aren't switching over to the new weapons and they're keeping their old ones is because the old stuff is still a thousand times better than anything they're dropping. And when you have that and you don't have newer weapons that have better perks, newer weapons that have unique things about them. And most of them design wise look like shit in comparison. This is a side note to, to Bungie's designers. At this point, my solution to that would be for Bungie to go to their community, their community who can be massively creative, who can do awesome things with their art and can create things for them. That's what kind of what happened with digital extremes, where they actually ended up going to their community of saying, hey, can you guys help us design frames, design weapons, design, you know, even just cosmetics? And it turned it into a contest. Yeah, they turned it into a contest. And I think Bungie kind of needs to open up the same thing to their own community, looking to their community to Hey, how can you like they've already gone through their community to how can we improve? Right. And that's why they started doing the weekly updates. Mm -hmm. So they kind of need to open that up even more of, hey, we're calling for designs. We're calling for people to hand in their own thoughts and their own design ideas and how we can change things to make things more appealing as we go forward. But right now, what I hear with the, you know, in in listeners, I will point out, I'm I'm the more cynical out of the two of us. My, you know, uh, Miles might be in the same boat as me. Uh, <laughs> right? I'm not negative. Ever, no way. Uh-uh. At all. Nope. It's a lie. Um, <laughs> so like, while Steve's help, like hopeful, I have been burned by or through this industry so many times that I don't see the uh, possibility of them actually ended up, ended up doing something that's beneficial towards us because I think that they'll unintentionally do something that's actually detrimental to the game. And when I say that, I, I'm talking about the fact like when you when you nerf your weapons and say, OK, we're only going to let them last four year or four seasons. Here's the light level cap. And then you have then essentially your your old gear is irrelevant. You have to switch over to new stuff, regardless of how much you like the old gear and how much it, how cool it is or how many cool benefits it has. You or have how to much switch you over struggle for it. They did this with with Atheon. They did this with the. Uh, uh, the year one stuff from Destiny one and. Uh, we kept some of those weapons just because we would go back into the Atheon raid guys. I mean, they were freaking phenomenal in those, but because they could not be up, upped in light level beyond the limit that they'd given it, it was useless to use in newer content. And when uh, moving forward, it took destiny one, uh, almost a year before they started giving us really cool drops again and really cool weapons. And I remember that. So I have a feeling that this is going to this is the same cycle that they've gone in before where they're going to do the same thing, where we're going to end up with really crappy drops for a long time. And they're not going to they're not actually going to provide us with the benefit of wanting to go over to a new new weapon because that's the problem they currently have. So instead, what I see is, well, we're not happy the fact that you're not picking up our new weapons. Well, we're not picking up your new weapons because they're crap. Well, we're going to force you to pick up our new weapons because eventually your gear is going to be irrelevant. And I think that's a bad way to go about it. I think that by doing this, they're just basically creating the same problem they had in Destiny 1. And while I agree with you at some points, um, I, I think this at least gives you the option 
So when we talk about light level and we talk about uh, being able to use your old weapons and new content, it, we're, we're really talking about end game stuff. Yeah. Right. And so for the most part with for, for the most part. So, I mean, after that year of having, you know, the weapon that you picked up this season and you're going into, you know, the the new season where you're getting that it it doesn't follow the the light level cap and there's new weapons out there. So there you know you're talking potentially four seasons worth of, of new weapons somewhere somewhere in there you, you hopefully they've put something out that you like that can be brought up so that you can use it um in, I would hope the so. it's, content. It's taken a while for I me would to hope find so a a better rocket launcher than what I had and I was stuck with the most epoch for a while. And uh, because it drops like candy. Um, <laughs> See, and, and it's because you haven't been playing Gambit. And, and <laughs> it's and <laughs> because I'm, I'm, the, the, the I'm going to get into my problems with with Gambit and, and Crucible in a bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But the but but, but <laughs> go ahead. I, I, I was just going to say, if, if you get bad omens, you'll be you'll be straight. Um, <laughs> That's, and, and, and it, yeah, I've seen I've seen it. it looks it's cool really good rocket launcher but it only drops in gambit the the pinnacle weapon that you can get from it it, it comes with tracking module and cluster bomb oh gotcha. um and and it it absolutely wrecks um and you know yeah that that stays in the inventory yeah just yesterday i got the uh, two-tailed uh two-tailed fox oh, okay i haven't yeah, tried that one out yet one. but it took me it, it took a while for me to get something better than a most epoch and the only reason why i wasn't using my old gear was because it cost modules to you know, the upgrade modules to bring it up to par. But at the same time, I have to use those upgrade modules to put other stuff up to par. So it was like, it, it's this, it creates the the grind cycle again that I always, that I've always hated from destiny. Like just the never ending grind to get things and never ending grind to, to accomplish things. And it's where destiny has always had a problem is trying to, you know, we talked about this in our podcast previously of they have a hard time deciding, is it going to be difficult or is it going to be grindy? And they always decide both. And it's one of those things of you, you either do one or the other guys, you don't do both. You, when you do both, it just pisses gamers off and they decide to drop off. This is what causes your gamers to leave your game. Yeah, it becomes monotonous. Yeah. I, so mm-hmm. moving Absolutely. forward and saying that we're going to light cap your, we're going to light level cap all your weapons and you have to go over to the, new, to the newer gear. I feel like that's creating another cycle of just grind <laughs> instead of, instead of making it fun and entertaining because I mean, miles brought, brought this up to us when we were like, he and I were having a conversation yesterday. He brought up the, the fact that borderlands is able to create over a billion guns and you're going to throw away thousands of them, but you're going to find some that are just so unique and so cool that you're going to get them and go, this is badass. I want this over this yeah. and, and it's going to yeah. happen. You're going to find something that's so cool and so kick-ass. You're going to stick with it for a while. And then suddenly something's going to drop. That's just so kick-ass. You're like, I have to switch to this. Yeah, and I don't expect any game to have the multitude of weaponry that no. any of the Borderlands games have, but it, it speaks to the the variety. I mean, 90% of the guns you get in Destiny 2 feel the same. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's not a whole lot that actually differentiates them. I've got a handful that I, I kind of have as my, my go-tos now, but they're not, you know substantially 
you know, cool or do anything special. They're just, you know, my best damage producers at the time. And since they don't have a whole lot else to really grind for, except for, you know, these long journey exotics or, you know, stuff that you have to grind out, it's, it becomes kind of just a pain in the ass. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you had Destiny 2 became, uh, in all reality, is a looter shooter that kind of, in in my opinion, kind of failed on the loot aspect because they tried to reinvent the wheel on it. Yeah. And while, you know, the, the, it's cool that they tried something new, it didn't exactly work out properly. Steve left, by the way. We're having technical issues, listeners. We're going to have to see if we can get Steve back. He's working on it. I'll go ahead and expand on that real quick. Uh, yeah, go ahead. So you got games like uh, Borderlands, like we said before, um, Diablo, World of Warcraft. These are all uh, Elder Scrolls to a degree. These are all games that have the RPG looter shooter mechanic kind of mm-hmm. down. Uh, you know, it's nothing's ever perfect. But, you know, like I said, Destiny tried something to, something new and it didn't really pan out fantastically. Yeah, it's good, but it could be better easily. Yeah. Steve, you're back. I'm back. My PlayStation went into uh, rest mode. <laughs> I, I saw one of the kids. I saw earlier that your your PlayStation was on uh, Little Big Planet. I was wondering if one of the kids just decided to turn it off, or that, that's what I thought. <laughs> so, and I have two. One's in the bedroom. One's in in the living room. Okay. And I thought for a second there that one of the kids signed on and kicked me off. Gotcha. Uh, and then I, I looked down and I was like, oh no, it's actually turning off. It went into uh, rest mode because I'd been sitting there on the uh, the uh, uh, the party screen. Gotcha. Uh, so, yeah, I was like, yeah. oh crap. <laughs> it's, beca- it's because of the podcast, by the way. That's why I had to turn off my power saving settings <laughs> on my PS4. Because yeah. yeah. uh, after you know, after an hour, it used to just shut off, and I'm like, well, that's not going to work out. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah, so you know, Miles is just uh, you know furthering his point on on Destiny, and you're right, Miles. With the uh, Bungie's biggest problem is the fact that they created a looter shooter that was lacking in the loot, and that's been a problem since Destiny One. And uh, instead of having a dedicate, like instead of <clears throat> instead of really dedicating to uh, let's mix and match our guns, which is where uh, Gearbox took Borderlands of like really how do how do we create a looter shooter that makes people want to switch over their weapons well we make guns that are just absolutely freaking bonkers and the only way we do that is by having a system shotguns that fire swords yeah Yeah. (laughs) like we 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 have we have our system literally just create these crazy freaking amalgams of all of our weapons in in different formats and i think bungie really needs to look at how that kind of technology could work for them uh and and kind of take that further and one of the things that uh Steve, that I, I I talked about a little bit with you yesterday was the fact that one of the things that they can fix is currently how their armor system works. Now, I like the armor 2.0. I like the the mod capabilities and stuff like that. The things that I don't like and is the same problems I've had with Destiny since, you know, vanilla Destiny 1 is that we don't have control over our stats. We don't have control over our stat, se- our stat sheets. And for an RPG to not give you that capability is really foreign to me. And... Bungie really tried to take uh, a lot of the extra work that we normally have in RPGs out of our hands. And I understand that it was primarily because they wanted to get down to the shooting. But when you have characters that end up being bullet sponges, somebody's at my door, sorry. 
the doorbell's going off. <laughs> I'll just I'll just leave it. Uh, we, we now interrupt this podcast, for right? Technical we, issues. It's the most interrupted podcast we've had in a while. Uh, <laughs> we're interrupting here. We're uh, interviewing the UPS guy. How are you doing with COVID? Um, so, <laughs> well, he would be an expert in his field. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a little more than uh, than uh, a seventeen year old, I think. Yeah, probably. Um, with destiny, Bungie tried to take a lot of some of the extra work out. And while I understand that, I, I don't think it's, it was the right approach. I think that they tried to reinvent the wheel that didn't need to be reinvented. And when it came down to like, originally we were, we were stuck with destiny when we were stuck with leveling, like there was no light level. It was just, you hit this level and that was it. And we all tried to figure out like, how is this going to change as we go forward? And then they introduced light level to take on raids. And that was kind of the reason why we had light level was to reach past what our level had left had, excuse me, what our, reach past what our level had left us at and give us more abilities, give us more power, uh, essentially make us more effective in combat in the game while letting us feel like we are achieving something. So when they introduced the light level, in reality, what they should have done was changed, oh, changed all of our armor over to just being cosmetic. And allow the drew the, the the drop system to be, you know, you could you could even call them relics of you know specific relics that we put on our you know on our our armor on ourselves that give us stat boosts that give us specific things like extra mobility or anything like that, and allow the light level number attached to that to be part of the stat sheet that we can manipulate ourselves. So when you increase five points or increase two points. You can put two more points to mobility, two more points to resistance, you know, or to uh, re resilience, stuff like that, or recovery, and give the control back to the gamer on how you want to build your character instead of it leaving instead of leaving it up to random drops and random loot, where we have to sit there and go, okay, what's this stat? What's this stat? Okay, this has better mobility, but it loses all of my recovery. I don't want this, like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Try to give us the the incentive to if like I said, if it was a it was a relic drop and it, the relic drop just had boosts attached to it with like maybe more mod slots or maybe a specific mod that it can use instead of it being tied entirely to our gear, like our, our physical gear that we put on our uh, our warlocks and, and titans and all that. It would give the better incentive of, oh, shit, I just got something that has a better mobility stat or has a better resistance stat, and that's what I want to go to next. So I'm going to swap this out. Like when you start having having a system like that, that gives more incentive for us to want to switch our gear out instead of, well, that's a nice piece of gear. It looks really freaking badass. And I've come across this multiple times since I've started playing again is I love this new look. It's got shit stats. <laughs> and it's got oh, yeah. cra it's got a crappy, you know, it's got a, it's got like I, I got one that was just nothing but mobility. And I was like, well, that would be great if I were, you know, doing a obstacle course. So I'll keep it on the side. But aside from that, everything else on it was awful. And it actually had less points in every category, even at the bottom, like the bottom uh, point numbers for how many points I get into stats was way lower than any of the gear that I had. And I was just like, man, this is like, this is, this is why you're, you're not having your players swap gear out because you keep having like, while I appreciate the random roles and bring, trying to bring back the incentive of wanting to switch out gear, your random roles are terrible. Like the RNG in, in Bungie is still awful and is still entirely designed to slow down your progress. And when what you, you mean like translate over to gear, it doesn't work. 
You mean like precision shots with a rocket launcher give you a bonus? That was hysterical (laughs) when I got that. I was like, what? I had that. Did I tell you I got that on a grenade launcher yesterday too? No, that's even worse. Yeah, I was like, that's (laughs) precision shots with a grenade launcher. I'm like, most of the grenade launchers don't even explode on impact. That's a perk. (laughs) <laughs> what what the fuck I shot him in the face sweet I'll just wait 10 seconds for it to explode <laughs> Jesus I was, I was making the, the joke uh, was it yesterday the day before like I want to see a skit where somebody tried to put on more than one exotic piece of armor and their right. head like fucking explodes, explodes. <laughs> yeah the, the fact that that Bungie hasn't moved past the, you can only have one piece of exotic that that is ludicrous to me. The one exotic limit is so stupid. Like I get that you're like, well, we want to make sure we have limitations in iron banner. Well, you can nerf iron banner any way you want it, You guys have control of that. Like literally you nerf everything in, in crucible. Why not nerf it in iron banner? I don't, I don't understand what, what the miss, you know, misunderstanding here for from Bungie is of well we don't want gear that's so overpowered that, that it makes it you know, too difficult for other people to play well that was kind of the point in Iron Banner to begin with was so that people could sit there and be like well all my gear counts here and now I can be a god in Crucible you you, you nerf guns to, to freaking no end and I still remember this so well like when you'd get like we, we, they'd have a new exotic come out and people would complain oh my god all I'm seeing is this exotic and it's killing me all the time so Bungie would nerf the shit out of it in Crucible and people would be like what the fuck like yeah you're, I killed so many fuckers with hard light it was amazing <laughs> you're, you're, you're mad because uh, because somebody figured out that this gun was more effective than other guns in Crucible so you're gonna nerf it that was like when they nerfed shotguns. I still remember that in Destiny 1 when they nerfed shotguns. And like, don't get me wrong, listeners. When we when we started playing Destiny 1 and I started playing uh, Crucible and I wasn't like I didn't have a good shotgun, a decent, decent one. At first, I was like, man, all I'm like, I keep getting shotgunned like to hell and back. And then I finally got a good shotgun and I started using it in Crucible and I would mop up in Crucible with that thing. And that was when shotguns were good. <laughs> But you had a lot of people who were sitting there going, well, I don't get to use my sniper rifle. Well, Crucible's not really designed for that regardless. Like, there aren't maps that are designed for sniper rifle. You want maps that are designed for sniper rifle, go play God, Blood Gulch in, Death, or in uh, Halo 2. Um, I mean, we, 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 we don't have those large maps anymore. They don't exist. They, they even took them out of Destiny 1 after a while. The, the, the What they considered the vehicle maps. So... Coming back to like basically coming back to my point uh, uh, after getting sidetracked a little bit, Bungie needs to they they seriously need to stop trying to reinvent the wheel, give a little more control back to the gamers, and look at things like just mostly with the armor. Look at things more of a cosmetic way with the weapons. Look at how other games have been able to accomplish this with loot and making people want to pick things up. Like when you you know if you got a suddenly a uh, sniper rifle that had a perk on it that allowed you to swap instantly between, I mean, I realize they're exotic. There's an exotic that can do this, <clears throat> but swap between, you know, fire, uh, void or arc. And it was just a perk on a legendary. Somebody's going to get that and go, Holy shit. Like I've had this weapon before it was garbage, but that perk makes me want it now. Like you, 
they they just need to be a little more creative with how they swap things in and out instead of a grenade launcher that has precision damage <laughs> on top of that turn to your community for for some design i realize that your designers your designers can't do everything and they can't work on everything all the time they have to they have other stuff that they have to get done i totally get that so turn to your community look to your community to help out you know, do community designs, do community contests, try and get your community more involved with, okay, we want to come out with a really badass, you know, set of gear that is, you know, has these great perks to it, but you have to have limitations. Take what your community says and work with it, work, you know, work with it from there. Uh, when, you know, when Bungie started introducing, introducing this weekly update, it's, it's great that they're communicating with their, uh, they're gamers, but now that you've been doing that for a while, you need to take the next step of okay, how do we get our our community more involved with how to with how to improve our game, not just taking their feedback of this sucks, this sucks, this sucks. We want to see designs from you guys. We want to see weapon uh, loadouts from you guys of what you want to see for perks, and then go from there. And you can work out you can work out like okay, this gun's great for PVE, but in PV pvp it's going to dominate so we need to work out how it's going to be nerfed in pvp but don't nerf a weapon overall that you know absolutely melts you know enemies in pve just because it melts just because it does it's more effective than you you had initially planned well it's more effective than you initially planned that's your fault you should have thought that out before you did it don't don't punish the gamers for using the weapon you gave them Especially for the the reckoning auto rifle, that thing was awesome. I saw the 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 verses like what it used to be like in versus now. That that gun was unbelievably good and it was totally worth the grind. When I saw the amount of grind you'd have to do to get it, I was like, that looks like it would be totally worth the grind. And then after the nerf, I was like, yep, not worth it. I deleted I deleted the quest out of my inventory because of it. I was like, it's not worth the grind. The grind is ridiculous for me. You have to give me the incentive. And when you nerfed it. You removed that incentive. So moving forward with their new system and how that's going to change, I'm worried that they're going to create a system that people are just going to be like, I don't want to get rid of my old weapons again. Fatebringer was an amazing handgun. Like that, that, that hand cannon was unbelievably good. And when we went into the year two stuff, they were like, nope, goes up to 170 and that's it, stops there. And everybody was like, what the fuck? And for a long time, that's what we were getting. And then they had the... Uh, the last update that happened after uh, after the Taken King, where basically everything got brought back up and we could almost, except for the year one stuff, but a lot of stuff was being reintroduced. They called it like the era of something. And uh, it basically brought back a lot of old stuff that we had. And uh, and it was also when they, they allowed us to uh, bring the year one exotics in and bring those up in light level. Uh, but not all the legendaries transferred over, but we still were able to bring in, you know, a lot of the old exotics. And that was one of those things where like everybody went, thank you. Like, this is what we've been wanting. We we can finally have our old weapons back. They were better and stuff like that. And the reason that happened was because for the longest time they were giving us just crap weapons and crap drops. And we were just going, what the fuck? Like this, like none of your new stuff is worth owning for a reason. And moving forward, Bungie's going to have to make sure that the next you know, their next versions and their next season of drops is better than the old one to actually give that incentive. And I don't think they're going to do that. That's why, that's why I'm more cynical towards it. Like they're, they're going to force this 
on everyone because of light level. And it's not going to be because the weapons are good. If the weapons were good, then you wouldn't have to have that. You wouldn't have to have that max light level at all. Because if you had weapons that were better and more comparable than the previous ones, there would be no contest. People would just be like, oh, well, this is way better than what I had. I'm going to go to this. Bungie's community is very, is very vocal and they will let them know. And with the upside of them doing the weekly updates is that at least at this point, Bungie is no longer like, a, you know, like they were with Activision. They're actually willing to hear the community out. Even when the community is uh, extremely pissed and isn't very cordial about it, uh, Bungie does do a very good job of addressing uh, anger. Uh, they do it a lot better. I will say they do they do it a lot better than most other developers do. And uh, most other developers tend to get a, you know defensive and get really pissed off. Um, kind of like what happened with uh, Pete Hines over Twitter recently when somebody asked about Elder Scrolls Six. And uh, he basically said, you know, it's it's years to come and somebody sarcastically joking. Uh, and I think he was just, you know, I think I think Pete was just in a, having a bad day, to be honest. But uh, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, but somebody basically sarcastically said, so Sunday, <laughs> like, like he was he was joking and <laughs> Pete, you know, took it a little little harsher. And the guy, you know, granted, the guy didn't let him know it was it was a joke. But I mean, even though you can't, you know, even though. Uh, text doesn't always convey uh, tone. It, you could tell the guy was joking. And I think Pete just kind of took it harshly because at that point he was probably just tired of getting badgered about it and uh, kind of said, you know, I, you know, I can't fucking believe you people kind of got a little pissed off and some people fired back at Pete and uh, the guy that he commented towards was like, Hey man, I should have, I should have said that I was being sarcastic. Sorry. I thought, you know, I thought it would be implied, uh, but you know, we appreciate the hard work you guys are doing and, you know, keep us up to date whenever you have something. And uh, until then, we're looking forward to it now. It was it was a an odd exchange, and I think Bungie has you know used to do things like that. They used to they used to kind of fire back really quickly. Uh, mostly that was you know because of the amount of hate they were getting and anger that they were getting over decisions that they did not have control over. And uh, now that they have this communication going back and forth, they've handled anger and uh, gamer feedback a lot better than they ever have. So it's refreshing to see these updates and to know what they're doing. It's a little concerning at the same time because hearing what they're doing, it doesn't sound like something, in my opinion, that's going to work out too well. But we'll see. I mean, it's a step forward. It's it's a different uh, take. We'll see if they can make it work. If they can't, uh, Bungie, I, I highly suggest you you take my, my advice and look at how RPGs have worked in the past and kind of model it after that. Don't worry so much about... Uh, giving random, you know, list of statistics from a sing from a single weapon or from a single, uh, actually more from a uh, from a single piece of gear like armor. Look at how you can give us stats that we can manipulate ourselves. So let us be more effective. Yeah, because in all reality, you know, and this is true with a lot of a lot of games that are similar, is your your crap without your gear, <laughs> like your gear is what makes you in that game. And it's like, all right, don't I have like fucking powers and shit? <laughs> oh, they're all on a timer. Uh, <laughs> better get a fucking six year so I can be fucking useful. So Destiny's going to take up the majority of the podcast, but uh, further concerns going into whatever they have planned in the future. I know that they're planning on carrying Destiny 2 based off of the conversation or based off the update that they gave this week. They're definitely planning on carrying Destiny 2 for another couple of years. But going forward into 
what they maybe have planned for whatever they want to call the next destiny, whether it be destiny, infinite, definitely, or, you know, just destiny expansion, uh, universe, whatever they want to do. Uh, if it's even just destiny three, I have a little bit of concern based off of, uh, this. So let me, let me, before you guys, before I ask you a question, let me tell you the roller coaster that has been, that has taken place. (laughs) So game releases and it's, you know, to, to mildly whelmed reception. Uh, some gamers are pissed. Some gamers are okay with it. Uh, it still has a, you know, still has a way to, ways to go uh, for some gamers and some players uh, to be, to become something great. The raid comes out and it's genuine, you know, genuinely interesting, uh, gets tons of participation, but not a lot of people can finish it because not a lot of people can, you know, not a lot of people can get a full, full group. And, Sometimes, you know, in some cases, parts of the raid are overly complicated. Then we get two DLCs. It releases <laughs> and nothing really happens in the story. We don't really get a whole lot of information. Uh, the DLCs are heavily criticized, even by critics. And fans are a little upset at the lack of content. We have an underwhelming raid uh, content that comes out. And some fans are disappointed in it. It's not great. Other fans are happy for the change. You know, it's, it's always up and down as we're going. PvP is slowly ramping up. We're getting more maps. We're getting more events. And, you know, things are getting to normal. We're getting more, basically more game. Uh, the third DLC drops and fans are ecstatic. This is basically the DLC we've been waiting for. It is everything that we've wanted. And on top of that, after that drops, we start getting quality of life changes that are just phenomenal. Making old guns relevant again, uh, bringing in new, you know, bringing in uh, old guns into into newer, you know, newer uh, drop systems where we have perks added to them, we have mods added to them. And uh, this kind of makes things worth playing again. We have the new, new raid drops. It sounds amazing. It's super technical, but a lot of people are having a good time in it. Uh, and it's largely considered one of the best raids in a long time more players can't finish it <laughs> and find or but but a lot of that has to do with finding full teams again and that's something that they that Bungie's still you know Bungie's working on they're trying to figure out how do we how do we solve this issue more big events happen more content changes uh we have eventually get down to a fourth DLC fourth DLC hits and it's intriguing it's got a very intriguing feel to it but it falls flat as a, you know, the ending just happens. Not a whole lot happens from it. You don't really understand what's going on. And it's not really pushing a lot of information. And we find out that we have to wait for a raid to expand that story more. It's always a little disappointing when you have to have a raid to do that. Because the raids, for the majority, most people don't finish. So my question to you guys is, am I talking about Destiny 2? <laughs> <laughs> that was the, the what I was thinking the whole time. I was like, is he talking about Destiny One or Destiny Two? But then, like, he didn't go into the seasonal model and yeah. some of the side stories. And but it sounds very, it so. sounds very similar, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So this is why my why I have my concerns, uh, listeners. If you've been thinking I've been talking about Destiny Two, I've been talking about Destiny One. <laughs> uh, and if you have been playing Destiny Two, then you know that Destiny Two has a very has a very similar track record of the exact same things happening. 
And while they've had different things happen in Destiny 2, like seasons, uh, and even more quality of life changes, the track record of what the events that took place from Destiny 1 into Destiny 2 is very, very close, almost one-to-one. It's kind of creepy. Now, I do want to keep keep you guys in mind that uh, Activision was in control of majority of that <laughs> from Destiny 1 even into yeah. Destiny 2. So that's where I have to quell a little of my concern and think, okay, remember they didn't, they didn't have a whole lot of control until they, until they split. And it was after the split that we started seeing the quality of life changes. And that's, that's kind of where things are going to go from here. So look at the quality of life changes and go from there and and look at uh, how Bungie's treated it from there. Well, the downside is, is that shadow keep is not that great of a DLC. It is really lackluster, especially compared to forsaken and, uh, oddly Forsaken was still being developed while Activision was in control. But I think that was also being guided more by Bungie because of the, the amount of flack that they got for the first DLCs. Bungie really had to step up their game and make something that people were really, really going to be excited about. So Forsaken was Forsaken is by far one of their best DLCs they've ever created since the Taken King. And it's actually some of their best content since the Taken King. And part of the reason is because it brings a lot of the stuff that Taken King had, which is exploration. Uh, the the stuff that they have in uh, just the Tangled Shore and especially the Dreaming City of finding stuff, exploring things, I just, you know, creating this whole kind of, you know, the Ascendant stuff in, in the Dreaming City is just awesome. Uh, if we had come in and known about, or like, if we had come in when the game initially launched and found out about that stuff, holy shit, that would have just been like, my mind's kind of blown right now. It's This is really cool. Uh, to have something like this in Destiny. And it would make me remember that, oh, wait, they had this stuff in Taken King, this, you know, invisible platforming, uh, you know, portals that took you to crazy fucking things and uh, events that just randomly would happen and you'd come across uh, that those kind of things would happen in the Taken King. And you're like, like, it made me go, man, this is actually, this is the best content they've had since then. Moving forward with Shadowkeep, Shadowkeep's, without Activision's supervision or anything like that, but it's not a whole lot of story. It's very abrupt. And while the location is really cool, it's all reused almost. It's reused assets from the Taken King. It's reused assets from Mar or from, from the moon. And uh, no matter what you do with the, le- with, with the level, the level, and, and there's a nice familiarity to it, but at the same time, it's not changed enough for me to go, that this is a this is a, something new. It's just a fresh coat of paint. Yeah, I mean it's the same thing that kind of did with with Taken. Like, all right, we're just going to take all the enemies, put you know the the void shader on them, and like, ah, oh, this is your new class enemy. Now you got nightmares, and like, oh, we're going to color them red. <laughs> yeah, the, those are the areas I have problems with. Uh, I mean, like even in Forsaken, they took basically a reskin of the Fallen, and it's the same enemy. Same enemy type. Uh, I mean, they even point out like when you call them, like at some point in the story, somebody calls them the fallen and they get upset at the fact that they're not fallen. Uh, I think it's one of spiders. People gets upset that it's uh, that they're not fallen, but uh, it's, it's the same kind of cycle still, even without Activision is my point. And they're, they're still making some of the same old mistakes and I think part of that is because of what they had done for so long. They're like, oh, well, we'll just continue on the same track record. And they kind of need to, they, they really do need to get away from that. 
they really need to think things think things through on you know the when I see things like uh, like Shadowkeep and they bring back the moon, I'm like, well, yeah, it's 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 different than what you had, but this just reinforces my thought of you could have had this expansive universe to begin with. You could have brought this in from Destiny One, and you'd have you could have all the content from Destiny One. See, the reason why you can have all the content from Destiny One is because uh, you have to have two server systems set up. And they do this in other games where you have one server that's set up for old content and one server that's set up for new content. And when you switch over to events that take place in the game as you go, uh, as soon as an event takes place, you're now you're now going to be switching over to the old or to the new servers. And it doesn't let the like the old content doesn't go away because you can always go back and revisit that stuff. Like you can re- revisit the old move, like the old locations and things like that, and see how things were before while experiencing the new content. And I'm well aware that it's, it would cost a lot more money. I absolutely know that. Um, but it would infinitely make, you know, Destiny feel bigger just because of that. So we would have more locations to go to even with the newer content, like the uh, the original Earth Zone and stuff like that. But when, when they, you know, when we have something like this and we're just like, well, you're just reusing content. I understand why I understand why they do it. There's a reason for developers to use old content and for for new events and things like that. But the problem that De- that Bungie still has is that they use old locations for new story instead of using old locations for events and uh, side stories. That's what that's what they should be doing. And anything new, like new story, those should be those should be new locations. That should move the story forward. That should be a new a, a new progression and where we're heading. That was one of the things I enjoyed about uh, Forsaken was because Forsaken took that and went, oh, well, you can use old locations. They used old locations for going to events and stuff like that. And I thought that was cool. I mean, specifically, they did that with uh, a lot of the Vex stuff and Saint-14. But with the new story, they went with a new location. They, they gave us two new locations. And when it goes over to Shadowkeep, well, you're just giving us an old location again. Granted, the Shadowkeep area is new. But it's not big enough to for me to sit there and go. Eh, it's not the Dreaming City. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna sit there and compare the two. Well, you're not giving us an, you're not really giving us a new location. You're just giving us an old location with a new coat of paint. So it feels it because of that it feels kind of lazy. I don't know if it came down to being pressed for time or they just wanted to bring in uh, bring back the moon because everybody kept bugging them about like why can't we go back to the moon. Um. So perhaps that has something to do with it, but the story wasn't really uh, a big enough story for me to go, well, this justified you guys asking initially 30 bucks for it. It feels more like uh, the the $20 or $15 DLCs used to have back when Destiny 2 launched and back when Destiny 1 launched, you know, like when we had the uh, House of Wolves and stuff like that, where it was just the the smaller uh, updates instead of the, the big expansions like we got with Taken King or Forsaken. We'll have to see, you know, it, it just kind of like when I sit there and go, ah, it kind of makes me a little concerned still for what, what they're going to continue to do for like moving forward with DLC. Cause when I see stuff like that, I'm like, ah, you know, they've separated from Activision, but at the same time, I don't feel like they've totally learned their lessons. So my, my feeling on it, um, I, I completely agree with, uh, your take on the, 
the fact that the story just felt like it ended abruptly. It wasn't as expansive. Um, You know, but I also did go into it, go into it with expectations that it was going to be forsaking size one. They didn't charge forsaken money for it. Um, But yeah, I think forsaken launched at 40, right? I think it was, I think it was closer to To 50 to 60. Was it? Okay. Yeah, I think it, I think it, yeah, I think it was it was it was definitely more than Shadowkeep was. Yeah, I remember it was a price really high enough for me to balk at because of and that was because of the previous DLCs. Exactly, exactly. Um and uh you know, so with with that being said, I didn't have that kind of expectation uh, of it to be that that expansive content. Um yeah. but definitely was a little disappointing in the fact that it was so short on story um and if you look at the timing of it uh between the release of shadow keep along with their split from activision it it kind of felt like they were starting over and they were trying to start over quickly uh while still putting out something um and we had felt it kind of throughout the, the previous seasons you know, before where they would been going into the side stories and, yeah. and, you know, not the story, not progressing. So my, my expectations for now that they've had an extended period of time away from Activision and what should be coming in the update in September, mm-hmm. um, I'm expecting forsaken level expansion. Gotcha. Okay. Be, be, because, that that's the precedent that they set with the last release, uh, you know, when when they released Forsaken, like, hey, you should be moving the for the story forward um, exponentially compared to what we got with um, with uh, Shadowkeep, and yeah, agreed. and and hopefully they will tie in some of the side stories that they introduced over the seasons you know the stuff with the drifter which was a great great side story but then okay nothing's happened with it since the season yeah or or even Uh, bringing back stories from destiny one with the stranger yeah exactly i mean well (laughs) you, you know and and i think you guys missed it you could probably find it on youtube but you know the fact that they brought back uh aldrin and yeah aldrin is now a guardian Okay. Yeah, well, I, had we've to, had I had to go like, look that one up, but yeah, that what's weird. You know what's really weird is that they they took out that cutscene for when you returned to to Destiny to see that, uh, and that originally played after you finished the campaign for Forsaken. Um, like you jump back into the game and it would give you that cutscene, and but they kept in the the cutscene that you jump back into with with uh, Shadowkeep, and I don't I don't want to spoil anything for anyone. Uh, at this point. But it's basically an extra cutscene that shows you uh, a little bit more story progression. It's it's very intriguing, but at the same time, it doesn't go anywhere, and you 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 end up having this this problem like, okay, you guys continually do this where you kind of like, oh, here's a peek behind the curtain of what we have planned for the future, but it's not really progressing the story any further. Later, we don't we don't go into this in the next DLC. We don't ever talk about it in the next DLC. It's a, it's the the problem they had with Destiny 1 with the stranger. Like they had this stranger that seemed like it everything pointed to time travel. Everything pointed to like her not being associated with the light. And then we have these bits of lore that we gather as we go along in Destiny 2 that kind of point to the fact that there were some guardians that that embraced the darkness and what that did to them. 
but we but we never have anything else that talks about it. We're like, well, what happened to her? <laughs> where do, where do yeah. we go? I, I realize there's no time to explain, but come on. You got to explain <laughs> something eventually. We, we never have time to explain. Still one of my favorite <laughs> weapons. Love that gun. But yeah, so yeah, and that that's why I'm like, okay, so you've, you've had some time. And while I was disappointed to an extent with Shadowkeep, yeah. I'm looking forward to September and whatever it is that they, they have uh, in store. You know, like right now, you know, they're, we're, we're getting the quality of life. We're, we're learning about the changes. We're learning, you know, what's going to happen and, and how to, you know, anticipate uh, <laughs> some of the stuff that's going to be coming. Um, so I just, uh, I, I'm looking forward to when they actually do some reveals on like, Hey, this is, you know, where the story is going to go. And, and I, I don't know if you've seen some of the stuff that has been that data mined and I won't spoil it, but, um, interesting with, you know, when, when is this going to happen? Yeah. I saw, um, I saw a few things. Um, probably shouldn't bring them up on the podcast, but, oh yeah, uh, uh, it was, it was pretty interesting. Like it was pretty interesting to see, like, the ideas of where they're going, a lot of it's stuff that is bringing back old things that was in discussion back with uh, Destiny One, and I mean this the like the thing with Aldrin, like you brought that up, like that seems very much like they're really trying to bring back uh, story elements that were supposed to be in the first game. They were supposed to originally be in the first game. They got completely changed. Uh, so I, I think they're trying. Yeah, there, there, there. Evidence. There's evidence of signs that they're trying to get back, back on track. But it's really hard to see them, listeners. When you're looking at it, you go, okay, Bungie takes five steps forwards and then they take three steps back, and you go, did we get any farther? Like, well, yes, you, you took two steps. So that's that's progress, but it's still, it's not feeling as fast as it as as generally like generally you should be feeling at this point in the game. It, it kind of brings me up with like some of their progression systems with with getting exotics, even, even legendaries are, it runs in the same problem of grind versus difficulty. And when they start making some of these exotics so grindy, it feels like you just don't want them anymore. And the worst ones are the ones that force crucible and force gambit in my opinion. And that is almost all of them at this point. Uh, I have a handful, like more than a handful of exotic quests that require us going into Gambit to get certain things. And we're sitting there going, man, like listeners, I realize that there are a lot of gamers that like Gambit and, and stuff like that. But I feel like there should be a choice with every single one. You can either do Gambit or you can do this. I would rather not play Gambit and have a much larger grind in PVE than play Gambit. And that's just me. Uh, but when they when they do the thing of you have to go into Gambit or you have to go into Crucible, I'm like, God, dude, you guys haven't learned a fucking thing since Destiny 1. Like, people complained about this back in Destiny 1 when we had to get the thorn. <laughs> and and I, I, well, and I think they're taking steps. So, and I don't know if you've, you've played uh, the season, this season that much, but when you look at some of the bounties uh, that, that come through uh, the, the bunkers, right? It's like, yeah. okay kill a you know bunch of taken or go into crucible yeah, and, those, and kill number those ones i enjoy but it's not being retroactively yeah. changed for older like for older for older stuff and stuff like that right and that's where i'm like ah you guys you guys aren't figuring this out like you need to change your old systems even even when going with a new content like i realize they're already in place 
but you had to change your old systems for the Rat King crew when you changed the the Nightfall from no longer or for no longer being timed to you have to do this quest with somebody else who either has this quest or has the weapon. I thought that was smart. And, That's a good way to do that. And and I look at it as a okay, what's the priority, right? Um, I understand and, that. Yeah. And, and old older exotics or older legendary weapons that. Um, you know, you've had a year, two years to get if you'd been playing. Um, yes, it would be nice if they went back and changed some of those things. And then, and while they were playing, they, you know, like uh, so, some of those, they did change, like the, the quest for the mountaintop. Uh, they 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 changed that. You know, only I think a couple months after um, it released because it was just too much. Um, yeah. But I mean. How many? What? What number of your uh, your player base is actually clamoring for? Hey, I need you to change. You know, you should go back and change this. And I'm not saying they won't do it at some point, but well, when with it's, all the when other it's so prevalent changes, that you're aware of it, that you have to change your your future bounties, and you're looking at doing quality yeah. of life changes. Your quality of life changes should be retroactive. So that that's what I'm that's what I'm going with is. No. When you like when when you're creating a lie, like it's understandable when it's a game that is old and it's not a live service game. But when you have a live service game that constantly changes and constantly is going to get updated, you have to look to your past as well and fix those systems in order for people who are coming into it new to enjoy those systems and not go, God, I'm getting burned out already. I'm going to leave before they get to the new to the new stuff. And I, I think that that's something that, that not only Bungie, but a lot of developers neglect. Like they don't realize that of, you know, hey, we still need to have a, an appeal to newer players. We still have to have this, uh, you know, this progression for players to feel like, hey, I'm actually obtaining something. I'm able to get this. This is actually achievable for me uh, because they do have plenty of there are plenty of players in in. Uh, destiny that don't want to play in crucible or gamut because one mostly because of the prevalent cheating that takes place in it and bungie's well aware of it there's a lot of cheating that takes place in uh in their pvp uh systems and it's not just and it's not just on pc it's also on console there are people who are finding ways around it like uh people who literally can hook up a mouse and keyboard to a playstation or an xbox and they crank up the like you, you you have a mouse and keyboard and you crank up the aim assist on that. Well, you practically just have an aim bot now. You know, and it's built into the game. And the game can't prevent that because the game only registers a, it's a controller. Even if it's a mouse and keyboard, it just sees a controller. It doesn't really know how to differentiate. You know, it can't really separate the two on, on those systems. So uh, that's an issue. And Listeners, you might be saying, well, that's not really cheating. It's cheating to a, to a, to a degree. They don't allow aim bots in on PCs. Why would you allow them on console? And there's a reason why the PC doesn't have assisted aim <laughs> in, in, in the, ver- in that version, because it's a, that's a mouse and keyboard, mouse and keyboard, are, you know, especially mouse, mouse is extremely accurate. So when you add the aim assist to the game from like it does on console, you, you basically are just you're working the system to take an even greater advantage that creates a 
a lot of distrust from the community of like, I don't want to go into this event because I've seen the amount of uh, misuse that happens. I've seen lag switching. I've seen, you know, all this stuff. And while Destiny, you know, Bungie tries to mitigate some of that, they can't fix it. And they've practically openly admitted that even on their own forums of the fact that they can't fix, you know, the amount of people who can cheat on their system because they find ways around it. It's the same reason why a lot of uh, PC gamers say you can't really fix cheating by putting anti-cheat software on uh, individual people's systems. You have to put it on your servers to be able to detect it. How do you get around that when it comes to the console side of things? I don't know. But you don't create quests that continue to ask people to go into these game modes where they're just like, I don't feel welcome here. I can't play in this. Why Why is this be, being made a requirement? Why aren't you adopting the newer systems that you have into the older systems of you can either play gambit or you can play this or you can you can play crucible or you can play strikes you know something get give a little more of that variety back to the old stuff i feel you i feel you yeah but and, and yeah i know i i know you i know you understand what i'm saying and i know you know all of our listeners understand what i'm saying but uh i honestly don't see how developers just kind of look at that and ignore it. And I realize there's a priority system in place of like what they need to, what they need to base it on. I mean, you, you look at digital extremes that took them six years to finally give the, or not even six years, but like uh, I think five years since they implemented their mod system to finally give the ability to use one mod on two different things. And it was like, well, my Sentinel is, you know, it's a companion with me when I, when I fight, why can't it use the same, the same mod as me? Why do I have to have doubles of everything? It just takes like three times the amount of work to do it. <laughs> They're actually four times the amount of work to do it. But they finally gave that. And a lot of a lot of old players were like, well, gee, thanks for the update, guys. And it wasn't really for the old gamers. It was for their newer gamers coming in. Uh, but, you know, it took them a long time to get there. And what's funny is when it happened, Miles and I were like, oh, thank God. Because we like we we both had like I had a I had a what they call a primed uh, backup mod. pressure uh, pressure point mod. And I had to have, I had two of them. I had one for, for my, uh, for my frames and I had one or well for my frame weapons, uh, melee weapons. And I had one for my sentinels and <laughs> I had to have two and they cost in for in, for the in, in game, they cost, uh, it's, I think like 1.5 million credits and, uh, 35,000 endo, which is, <laughs> in the game is a lot of resources <laughs> yeah. uh, to just upgrade one. So that's two times the amount uh, for those two. And if you have, or when you, when you have them, you're like, all right, well, I, I'm going to have to do mid steps until I can afford this all the way for it. So when we heard about, it, we were like, Oh, thank God we don't have to have like doubles of everything <laughs> moving that, forward. That and when they introduced uh, legendary cores, I'm like, oh, that's going to save and me. Miles is even telling me about like old systems that they had. It used to cost even more. Uh, what was it, Miles? You had to have you had to have an extra of the have, mod itself, right? Yeah. To you used to have duplicates to put of the into mod. the mod to update it or to upgrade it. Yeah. Yeah, you used to have to have duplicates of the mod in order to upgrade uh, them up another tier, and that could get really painstaking when it came to rarer mods uh especially since the drop rates on them aren't always fantastic by any means because they go through the the random number generator just like almost everything else does it'd be a big pain in the ass on top of the cost yeah 
but I could see like, I could see that being an even bigger issue with like, uh, Oh yeah. Some of the like heavy impact mods that we have and stuff like that. Where it's like, all right, well I don't have doubles of these. (laughs) How do I upgrade (laughs) it? Or you used to have to grind and grind and grind in order to get a a Kubro egg. Yeah. Like, and now it basically just gives you everything you you need. Yeah. They're like, all right. Wait, that was just, like, yeah, they, they actually have, because they have to actually uh, a, a specific mission that just basically drops you one. Yep. Um, and I remember when I, uh, when I was going for my Kubra reg, you're like, oh man, you're like, well, it took me forever to get mine. You're like, good luck. And I went into the mission and got it like instantaneously. And Miles goes, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, as, as they, you know, as they move forward with, uh, with what they're changing, you know, what they change and stuff like that, I think that they just need to think about what they've had and just retroactively bring those systems over. And I know that that's probably a lot of work, Steve, like I, I, I get that, but they've had enough systems like that in other areas that I think they can reuse a lot of those things, uh, moving over, like, you know, bringing in, uh, what they have currently with the bounties with, uh, the war mind. And saying, okay, we're going to apply this same system over to our exotic here and give people the option of you get more progression by doing Gambit or Crucible, but you can do strikes or something like that instead. Get, you know, it, it, to me, it's, it's giving the option of we're going to introduce, you can either, you can either do grind or difficulty. Uh, Cause to me, Crucible is more difficult. Um, to deal with, especially when you have the ones that are like any losses lose progress. I'm like, well, that's great when it's a one to two, uh, <laughs> ratio. Um, it's just not as fun to me. Yeah. It's just, just it, yeah, it, it just, it creates this, well, I'm now just slogging through it to try and get this weapon. And you start to question, is it worth getting this weapon? Some, and then some after are, while, you start to think, is it worth me even playing the game? Some are, if you need some help, just, let me know which ones, but honestly, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I understand. And I, I agree with you 100%, buddy. I, I do. Um, you know, I just, at some point it's just like, okay, Hey, you, you want the weapon? You, let, let, let's go play some gambit. Let me know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I'll be your huckleberry. I'll be, I'll be <laughs> you know, I'll, <laughs> you know let, 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 let's go grind some gambit. Okay. You know, um, because honestly, in I mean, I don't know if you've played any at all, but I mean, it's one of my favorite modes. So I, you know, like if if you're like, man, I really don't want to grind this out by myself. You know, hey, that that that's what friends are for, right? Um, oh, it's gonna happen. Uh, like I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm, you know, no offense, I'm gonna use the shit out of our friendship. Oh yeah, <laughs> use <So>. me. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> it didn't come out right. <laughs> or did it? <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to hopefully uh closer to ending the podcast <laughs> now, now that i have like 20 minutes of of technical fuck up to to get rid of uh <laughs> at least at least uh the culling is coming back. I don't know if you guys remember this. The the culling had come out of the, <laughs> it was a shitty, uh, you know, battle Royale game that was on PC. I mean, it looked, looked like it had PS, you know, in some cases, PS two graphics. 
so it, it came back and it's got a new model. Uh, they had apparently with the culling Two kind of ruined their entire franchise, decided to take it off of steam and pretty much off of every service, closed down the servers and said that they were going to rework things. So now they're back and they've got the worst pay to play model I have ever seen. Like it is fucking insane. Pay to play, pay per play, pay per play. Uh, so you pay $6 for the game now. And that gives you what they, they, that gives you apparently one free match a day. And I went, what, what do you mean? One free match? Uh, I, what was the $6 for? <laughs> for one free match. Uh, I thought your game was, yeah, <laughs> apparently it's, it's for one free match. Uh, so it's the it's world's actually, most you know, expensive arcade game. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it absolutely right. It is. It's the world's most expensive arcade game. Um, so you get one free match. Uh, and then after that, you get one free match per day, uh, unless you win and then you gain match tokens for winning. After that, if you don't if you don't win or don't get match tokens uh, while you're playing, you have to pay for tokens, and they have or or you can pay for days. And it's <laughs> it is the weirdest. Like it's just bad math. Like so it's it's three tokens. So one token per per game that you per match. Three tokens is a dollar. Ten tokens is is three dollars. Twenty tokens is six dollars. Okay. So let's say you only played for, you know, one match per day. That's up to about 20 days. And most like most likely if you're a fan of the game, you wouldn't be paying or you wouldn't be playing just, you know, one match per day. Or you can pay for seven days for two dollars. Or 30 days for six. So why would I buy tokens if I can buy days? Did they have some like unlimited play? Plan on there too. Yeah, it was. I, I didn't see the unlimited play, but it's just it still sounds fucking insane. Like, uh, yeah, I, I realized I made the joke the other uh, the other cast about Streets of Rage jamming quarters into my console, <laughs> but uh, I didn't think uh, a dev would actually take it seriously. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a joke, guys. Um, and. Like there, the the funny thing is the the response that they gave was basically you know this is the this is the best way to keep the game going and the best way for monetization for a game that when it originally launched people couldn't even find matches with other people because it was so bad. Yeah, so, it was like what for three days there was one player. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, Jim Sterling, uh, the uh, columnist and uh, YouTuber talked about the fact that he, you know, when he originally played it, like he would win matches just because by default, he was the only one there. (laughs) When your game doesn't even let you start a match because you can't find other players that you had a problem to begin with. How does this fit? How does, how does this pay model fix that problem? Who's in charge over there? No, but, but it's, it's brilliant because it helps us keep running. Uh, So we (laughs) will make money. <laughs> just what do you mean? what the fuck <laughs> like could you imagine working for that company and hearing this and going yeah this sounds good like no one in that room ever said that no one in the room ever congratulated them everyone in that room went so i'm just going to start looking for another job then got it thanks was it just the presentation like from the underpants gnomes <laughs> <laughs> first step uh underpants 
<laughs> Second step. Third, Third step, step profit. My <laughs> <laughs> God, I think he's done it. <laughs> um, Revolutionary. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this had this has a lot of people going. What? What the fuck? Like people who people who don't don't know anything about finances or marketing or anything to do with how to run a business know that this is not how to run a business like what what are you doing <laughs> what is your end goal here oh man but meanwhile unreal engine 5 was shown off you know say what you want about epic and their store and some of their other stupid stuff that they do they make a hell of an engine that they do the the unreal engine is just unbelievable and uh, what they showed off with the Unreal Engine 5 was fucking amazing. And what's hysterical to me is the fact that Un- Epic has shown more gameplay from Sony for the PS5 than Sony has. <laughs> and amazingly, it's actually yeah. more gameplay than we've seen from the Xbox. <laughs> yep. Moving forward. Uh, granted, listeners, it was it was a tech demo. It's not a real game. Uh, but it does, it, it is running in real time. There was somebody controlling it and showing you how, to, how it moves and stuff like that. Granted, there are probably a lot of scripted, scripted parts in there. Yeah. And they do paste together, you know, what they call perfect runs, which is where somebody goes through it several times until they get the, uh, the look and the, the, the run through that they want for it. Uh, but the stuff that they showed off, like the na- like nanite with the uh, geometry, um, uh, triangular uh, texture rendering and uh, and tessellation uh, capabilities, that was unbelievable. And when we first like, so <laughs> maybe I should have Miles tell you this, listeners. But Miles, what was it you said when you first heard triangles? So, <laughs> so I I studied for for game animation for for game development, but focused on animation. Um, but modeling still was an aspect of that. And one of the first things you learn in modeling uh, for for games is that triangles are bad. Yeah. Uh, and but they're inevitable. They they say you're going to have them regardless. They're necessary for certain things, but it really fucks with your your models and everything else, especially when it comes to uh, smoothing edges because yeah. the geometry just freaks the fuck out. Um, and they they paused the tech demo kind of early on to show their their kind of new technology and it's just millions of triangles i was like holy shit <laughs> yeah so listeners so there's there's a little bit of a difference between what miles is talking about and what uh they use for triangles and tessellation but the it still it still translates in the fact of the more triangles you have uh the more edges and and matching that they that they have to do in any kind of uh, landscape the more likely you're going to have fuck ups where things fall yeah. through the cracks. Uh, yeah. Key example of this is Ubisoft. So uh, when you look at old uh, Ubisoft games, uh, one of the things that was introduced at, or really pushed technology-wise was uh, tessellation and how that worked in video games. And as it increased, the more likelihood you were going to have glitches and stuff like that. That's kind of why you ended up with faceless people. Yeah, in, uh, artifacting. Unit. So uh, when they first talked about it and they showed how much the uh, Nanite was doing 
of the textures, they were showing off that we're not using just normal texture mapping where things pop no. in and stuff like that. We're actually building these physical, you know, these, these things physically in this digital environment to render from far away or close up the same, you're getting the same resolution back and forth. Didn't matter how close you were or how far away you were from the object. And that's super impressive and it's super scary <laughs> <laughs> right. because of the amount of the, the amount of fuck ups you can have. But uh, based off what that engine can, can, can do and the efficiency that they've introduced for it, if it works the way it should, and it is a little concerning when they started off with it just works because I've heard that since Apple and it doesn't always just work. Right. But uh, when they, you know, when they introduce something like that, it, it seems like this is going to be super efficient for developers in creating textures and creating landscapes, creating levels, stuff like that, because they're no longer going to have to put in that ridiculous amount of extra work to build these things themselves. Yeah. The, the building of them and the, uh, the baking of texture maps that can take for fucking ever, uh, at least from a trainee standpoint, I'm sure there's, there's plenty of pros out there to get it down fucking pat. Uh, but it's so minute in, in, and grueling when it comes to detail, uh, for making texture maps and normal maps. Uh, and this is supposed to kind of like smart do it for you, uh, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah, it works with that's, the... That's uh, hours and hours and hours of work potentially saved. Yeah, it works with the high resolution scan technology that's been pioneered over the last couple of years of being right. able to take physical pictures of something and creating it into a 3D object. And uh, that will speed things up tremendously and also reduce amount uh, reduce a lot of the uh the memory requirements a lot of the uh lag times that we've had with with just streaming uh textures through gpus so this is supposed to help and supposed to reduce resource uh, requirements for it the other thing that's going to be tremendous a tremendous step is lumen uh their lighting engine which is super impressive to watch it it combines ray trace you know bounce lighting with uh old lighting techniques and uh uh you know capabilities that were that have been used for a long time to create more realistic illumination throughout the game where light actually bounces off of things and, and lights up other areas that normally wouldn't be lit up essentially it's it's almost practically ray tracing without ray tracing yeah. So <laughs> while it uses elements of ray tracing, it's not all of it, listeners. So ray tracing, in case you don't know, like the, the most powerful GPUs on the planet right now can barely run games at like 1440 with ray tracing on at 30 FPS. That's not great <laughs> when you're thinking about shooters and stuff like that. And while ray tracing is extremely important technology moving forward and getting you know closer and closer to that uncanny valley with video games, it's not the best uh, way to do things right now because we still aren't quite there technology-wise to keep up with it. So this is kind of that mid-step of creating a system that integrates some of those things from ray tracing, but also you know doesn't require entirely the amount of resources and dumbs it down a little bit for the system so that the system can say, okay, now I understand what I'm supposed to be doing. Using yeah. this, I can recreate something very similar and it's not as taxing for me. So now you can get the the 60 frames per second you've been wanting. So the it was a it was a really impressive uh 
just visual presentation of it. I mean, it really did show that the the next gen, if listeners, if you know what you're looking for and you've been sitting there going, I've been seeing all these next gen, you know, games and stuff like that. Like, uh, you know, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, they're not really next gen. Like I made a post on this on, on my own Facebook about the fact of if people have been looking at the current games and that are coming out over the next year and going, ah, that doesn't really look next gen. Well, that's because they're really not next gen. They're kind of like in between. They're going to implement some stuff from the newest from next generation, but not a lot because they still have to cater to old systems. Yeah. So you're not going to really see these, like you you won't see this dramatic increase in graphics right away. It's not going to happen. We will never have that dramatic. We've, we've talked about on the podcast before. We'll never have that dramatic increase going from like PS one to PS two, PS two to PS three. It's just not going to happen. You know xbox to xbox 360 it's it's getting too photo real at this point in time yeah. that it, it, you, the human eye would have a hard time picking it out I and mean, there was there was parts in that presentation alone that when it wasn't focused on a character or like a magical light source or something like that so yeah. like on rocks or, or or scenery or something of that nature i if i didn't know any better i couldn't have told you whether i was looking at a legitimate real life photo or something that was generated. Yeah, and the same thing can be said for even some current games like Death Stranding environments. Uh, like if you saw just a Vista without a character in there or anything else in there, it looks like a real place. Yeah. You, you'd, you'd swear that's that's real. Well, no, it's not. Like It's actually not. But it's taken from, you know, realistic scans of objects and stuff like that to create it. And this does something very similar. So listeners, as we get closer and closer to that Uncanny Valley especially in video games, the lines will be blurred between what we understand as next gen and what we understand as previous gen, because we're not going to really see that huge step anymore. It's going to be slow, like a slow, gradual pace towards this. And eventually we're just going to look back and go, well, I can look at it now towards the end of this life cycle and look back at where we began. And there's a huge step. Yeah. If you, if you look at it after years of development, it's kind of like when you look back at a, like go back to the old games that started off with the, the PS4 even. <clears throat> Look at the PS4 and the Xbox One when they started. Compare those games when they launched to even similar versions later on. It's night and day. Well, that's yeah, years later when they're able to advance the technology even more. And you can sit there and go, okay, well, I look at environments in Killzone and look at environments in Horizon Zero Dawn. Killzone looks good. It's still a good-looking game, but it's night and day comparison. You're looking at a game that is that had years longer to develop versus a game that didn't into the next generation. And that's going to happen with this next one. We're going to have games that are going to go forward, and eventually they're just going to leave the old stuff in the dust. You're just not going to realize it until way later. Also keep in mind that <clears throat> Unreal Engine 5 is not going to be available until 2021. <laughs> yeah. So, and the reason is, is because they're still making old stuff off of uh, Unreal Engine 4. And the nice thing is, is that supposedly Unreal Engine 5 is going to allow them to bring over stuff from Unreal Engine 4 if they're currently in development and they want to switch over to the newer engine, that they'll be able to make that shift and add the new stuff that they have in Unreal Engine 5 relatively easily. We'll see if that ends up being the case, but based off of uh, what we've seen from, from Unreal in the past, and how simplified they've made their uh, their engine work for other people. Uh, I'm really I, I have high hopes for this one. I'm I'm not going to be cynical and say it's not going to work. I'm I'm really hopeful that, that it does just work. So 
I mean, yeah, they pulled off enough digital sorcery to show what, off what they had. So. Yeah, that was a really <laughs> listeners. If you haven't seen the presentation, go take a look. Also, highly recommend look at uh, all of the videos that they have it on uh, uh, Digital Foundry, where they break down everything that's taking place. Hey, Mike, you, you mentioned a term, um, and for those of us that aren't particularly uh, familiar with it, could you could you explain Uncanny Valley? For, for our yeah. listeners that uh, aren't as uh, tech savvy. The Uncanny Valley is a theory that came about. It's a, it's a hypothesis. It's it's a hypothesis, really, that came about back in the 1970s that had to do primarily with the uh, synthetic versus human. And it's the idea that there is this gap between <clears throat> that there's this gap between what we perceive as uh real tangible, like emotional, like an emotional attachment to like a human being and something that's synthetic. And the idea is that there is a point where, uh, you see things that are prosthetic or, or not real, and it will never be able to reach the illusion of being human or being real. And it's been applied over to, uh, animation and graphics in a similar fashion of, there's this gap that we had for so long back when animation began in computer for computer graphics, where you had this big gap of, you could definitely tell something wasn't real. You know, you could always tell, uh, even like in old movies, when you watched Hollywood movies, there were points where you're like, Oh, that CGI is, is fake. And it looks fake. There are lots of movies that you look back and the film doesn't, it doesn't age very well. And then there are other movies where they do. And part of that is because, they do some tricks with the, the the footage itself to try and make it seem like it's actually taking place in a real world, even though your brain knows that's not real. And now we're reaching the point where even computer graphics in games are starting to get closer and closer and closer and bridging that distance from where we perceive things to be real and where we knew things weren't to the point where we're going to start seeing those lines kind of blur of like, that's like, even if something's stylized, it's going to look pretty damn realistic. So when I talk about, you know, the uncanny Valley, it's, you know, when we, when I say approaching the uncanny Valley, what I really should be saying is crossing the uncanny Valley. As we get closer to bridging that gap, things are going to start going, Oh, well, this is going to get closer and closer to, to realistic, uh, even stylized realism to the point where we're just going to be like, yeah, that's, that's a photograph that was taken from, from, you know, some real, you know, real world place. And, uh, it's a goal. It's really just a goal, a goal line for all the, like all developers, animators and stuff like that to try and see, can we actually get to the point where you can't tell that's a real person with a fake person and people are the hardest things to animate. One of the yeah, things and LA Noir took a huge <clears throat> step towards that with their motion capture. Yeah, and the uh, reason their, why they did is because they amazing. used real people to animate it, right? And they yeah. had these yeah. they had these special cameras that actually could see the muscular or like the muscle movement and stuff like that and the skin movement on their faces. So you had realistic like actual realistic facial features and stuff like that where you could tell that's a real person doing it. The style of it, the art-wise isn't real and your brain no, knows I, that. Yeah. Graphics wise, it wasn't there, but I mean, as far as like just animation goes and, uh, you know, you could tell you knew who that person was because they used famous, you know, actors and actresses for that, that, that game. You're like, I know who that is. 
there's a reason why like some movies they get like people get crap for them like that's not a real person like uh so listeners i love tron legacy tron legacy is a great movie but when you look at jeff bridges um his character as clue they didn't use what they use now which is like the the de-aging tech they used a actual like fully cgi face of him and you could tell it's not a person talking you could tell that's not human because they add extra things with like the mouth and stuff like that to try and really force the uh the model to make the words like vocally to to show that the person is actually making the speech that's coming out of their that's, that's coming out of the character but unfortunately they add extra muscles that actually don't exist in the human face like the there are no muscles right there between your 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 lip and your nose really quick listeners i just want to clarify what i'm pointing out is that the the muscles that are that are on your your lips uh, are attached to cheek muscles and stuff like that there's no muscle that directly dictates how your mouth is moving between your nose and your lip uh and um the reason why is uh, the reason why i bring that up is because most of the time when you're seeing somebody animate it they show the upper lip moving in ways that it just doesn't move in real life and because of that your brain instantly goes that's not real you know because you see your face in the mirror all the time you see other people's faces all the time so your brain automatically knows how to recognize a human being that's why it's so hard to animate us. <laughs> That's why it's so hard to animate a human being and make it look real. Because when you have contact with something like that all the time, you can spot it. The uh, muscles that force your, your lips to move are connected to your cheeks <laughs> and, uh, and the rest of your face. So you, you don't have like a, a muscle in between, you know, your, your, your nose like the, the bridge of your nose and in your, your upper lips. So they, they add those extra, you know, those extra movements sometimes because they feel like, Oh, well, it's not really, it doesn't look like he's actually saying that. So we'll just add this movement here that doesn't really well, exist yeah. when somebody talks. And animation's all about exaggerating the movement to get the point across. And, and, and that's exactly it. And yeah. because of, because of that exaggeration, human beings, when they see that, they go, that's not real. That's where your brain kicks in and goes, there's something wrong. This isn't a person. So that's why it creeps people out when they see stuff like that. But recently we've had these massive strides where with, especially with de-aging tech and stuff like that, where that line's being, being kind of blurred now. It's not always as noticeable. So that, and that's where that uncanny valley, you know, lies is as we get closer to that, things are going to get to the point where that's real. No, that's not real. It looks real. That's the point. <laughs> and we'll see that kind of continue on it with our video games of, okay, are these guys going to choose stylized? Are they going to choose realistic? And are we going to see a massive jump in this tech as we move forward in, in more generations? Well, no, you're not. You're not going to notice the big jumps that are being taken because as you get closer and closer and closer to that, it's taking more power to do it, but you're not going to, you, you're, you're not supposed to notice it. If you do notice it, then they failed. <clears throat> and in case you're wondering what I mean by uh, realism that is uh, like a, a realistic art style that's not real, um, think about the movie Avatar. Uh, Avatar, your brain knows that's not real. It knows based off of all the things around us that that's not real. 
but it looks real. And your mind goes, I know it looks real. It's not real, but it really does look real. So that's what I mean by creating stylized realism that is not trying to be absolutely realistic, but it's trying to fool your eye into thinking that that's a real place that you're looking at. But they sure as hell did a great job with the with the Unreal, you know, Unreal Engine 5. They did a great job of kind of reaching for that, especially with the environment. Uh, there are a few things that are noticeable, like she doesn't make footprints. Uh, the character yeah, doesn't when she walks that. around. Like those are the things, those are the moments listeners where you're like, ah, that's not, that's why it's not real. Walking through water, it didn't yeah. quite displace correctly. Yeah, so, I noticed I mean, that too. I noticed that too. Yeah, the, the water the water displacement. When they were talking about the water displacement technology, I'm like, that's eh, not quite there, guys. It it looks yeah. like it needs some work. It doesn't it doesn't look bad. It's just not you know realistic. Absolutely. Moving on to other things that were shown off. They show off or Sony finally gave us gameplay. Finally, gameplay of Ghost of uh, Tsushima, and that looked phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that looks like it's going to be a a great. Uh, just open world experience. I'm really looking forward to playing that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sold easily. Uh, I I'll be playing the hell as a, out of it as a ghost though. I probably won't mess a whole lot around with the, uh, honorable samurai portion. Um, but that's just my play style. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but yeah, speaking of how good it looks, they, they're putting a photo mode in there and it, it looks astounding. (laughs) I, I was like, I immediately texted Mario. I, knew, I was like, I knew you were going to bring it up. Why can't I just make my own desktop wallpaper for PlayStation? <laughs> it's like, this looks infinitely better than anything I've seen on there. You know, that's something you should bring up to Sony for the PS5 is making, being able to make your own dynamic uh, wallpaper. Yeah. I mean, from you, game, you can from already do. Footage. Yeah. You can already do screenshots from, from Xbox and put it as your desktop wallpaper. Yeah, you, know, you can't even do that on 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 here. Not that I, I don't think you can, anyways. Oh, uh, you can do it in your it. profile picture. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's what I, it kind of put me in mind of was like because it has the particle uh, movement in there and yeah, soundtrack you can attach to it and everything else. So I was like, this looks amazing. Like I would love to have this as my my active desktop wallpaper. Right. Like, let me just create my own. That'd be amazing. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, was I the only one when uh, they were doing the follow the winds? I was like, uh, so I'm Pocahontas, the samurai. Sweet. <laughs> uh, I, I was showing it to Shana. I was like, well, the winds, your 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 navigation uh, orientation. She's like, oh, that's going to fuck me up. <laughs> <laughs> it's blowing the opposite direction. I should go away. It just looked like really good gameplay. It, it looks like it's going to be interesting. Uh, the combat system, hopefully it. You know, it looks like it could be a cross between a few things. I mean, there's a possibility it might be a little more uh, Jedi Fallen Order. I'm hoping not. I'm hoping it's a little more fluid. But uh, it, the the feeling I got from it was kind of old school Assassin's Creed. Yeah, and that's what I'm hoping for. And uh, that, you know, that was a lot of fun because it had a really easy uh, block and parry system, you know, which is... I, I appreciate because I'm supposed to be a badass and I'm not always the most badass at timing. <laughs> so if I can sit there and guard and, 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 and counter, uh, it, it's just more fun. Yeah. But it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see how it turns out. So in, uh, another reveal that took place is, uh, 
Paper Mario, the uh, Origami King was announced by Nintendo. It's coming out really soon. I was surprised by the uh, the release date. It comes yeah. out in June, right? Sold on that too. June or uh, January. January. I want to say or, no. Sorry, not January. July. <laughs> what the fuck is up with you, brain? <laughs> I, want, I want to say it's June. So, uh, but that look, yeah, that looks really good. I'm I'm really excited the fact that I'll be able to use my other Nintendo voucher that I have. Right. Well, I mean, we've been asking for a new Paper, Paper Mario, Mario for a while. for a while, a legitimate Paper Mario, not a sticker book Paper Mario. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that was announced that they have been indeed working on a new Tony Hawk. That's an old Tony Hawk. Two old Tony Hawks, actually. Uh, ones people have been asking for. Yeah, the, the ones that people have been asking for. An actual remaster of Tony Hawk 1 and 2. And uh, not the uh, terrible HD version that they did that wasn't very good. And a legitimate remaster of 1 and 2. And it it looks like everything we've been wanting. I know Jake over at uh, Game Ranks is extremely excited for it. Uh, I was curious, like what what he what he was doing when they when they announced it. I'm pretty sure he probably just started screaming and dancing like a little kid. But it yeah, it, it looks really interesting. They have they they've they've confirmed that Goldfinger is going to be on the soundtrack. I'm really excited for that. Uh, that is an iconic, uh, you know, Superman is an iconic song for <laughs> from that game. Uh, I remember I remember getting into the soundtrack in that game and literally putting that on repeat. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to playing it. It looks, I think it's like 40 bucks, right? Uh, I didn't see a price point. But uh, apparently they're trying to do the pre-order thing of if you pre-order it for $40, you get access to the demo when that comes out. And I'm like, ah, I'm not going to give in to the pre-order just for that. <laughs> so we'll we'll, we'll see. Uh, maybe you should make the demo free and let us play it and then see if we actually want to buy it so that we know it's a good game because if it is a good game then a pre-order to get the demo shouldn't be required right just a thought but uh not bioware yeah bioware uh came out for for anthem and said it basically did like an update that said that uh they're still working on it it's slow yada 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 um, nothing to see here <laughs> basically along. uh the i don't want to <clears> say he used it as an excuse is the the guy that's heading it up now, um, yeah. And who knows how long that'll be for, uh, with that turnover rate. Um, but essentially, you know, bring he br- he brings up that you know they're just a team of thirty people, and you're like, oh, but it allows us to be more agile and and make changes easier, this that and the other. And I'm, I'm sitting there just thinking to myself, like, all right, people. so yeah, I was like, to they, fix the they game. EA. EA said that they're not giving up on the game, but you put as small of a team as you possibly could on doing anything with it. So what if you kind of give up was working on it? What would happen then? Maybe that is all of Bioware. (laughs) God damn. After they bought that new facility for him, I would hope not. Uh, uh, Well, no. Yeah, this is I think this was the uh, Austin team that uh, was talking about it. Um, you know, it is, we've, we've iterated it before. I don't want to see it fail. I want to see it turn out, you know, really, I want them to come out with Anthem next and, and, uh, it be, you know, substantially better. Uh, but uh. here's, here's the problem with that listeners. Uh, when you hear 30 people are working on the game, that means 30 people are working on the game solely to fix it. That means that they're yeah. not from adding home things to it. <laughs> that means they're not adding things to it. it. When the game comes out again as Anthem next, 
that means that it will only have things fixed. It won't be, it won't be better. Like it won't have new content. So basically they'll be asking gamers to come back to something, the something that they've already played just to experience the new gameplay. And you know, that's, that's one of the things he brings up in the letter too, is that they're, they're he calls it an incubation period. Uh, but really it's just prototyping and seeing what systems work and whatnot. Um, but it, like it's one of those grain of salt kind of things. Like I don't fucking believe you. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't, um, I don't. I don't believe it at all. No, uh, you put thirty people on a game that needed a full team fixing it, and if you had a full team fixing it to get it to where it needed to go, it probably would have taken a matter of months. But since you put thirty people on it, that tells me your project's dead. You're just doing it to appease people who are still currently playing the old shit, and you're not going to come out with new shit. You're just going to move on to Dragon Age, right? And I expect Dragon Age to be even worse, yeah. <laughs> because when they said it's Anthem with dragons, I went, <laughs> "How about no? <laughs> None of your fans want this." <laughs> seems to me like uh, seems to me like Bioware is about as good as good at communicating and understanding their crowd as uh, I was nearly any any other developer out there that's not listening to us. So we'll see how well that works. And uh, I look forward to hearing about their offices being turned into a warehouse to hold all of the <laughs> EA's old broken games. Um, um, the other bit of news that I've neglected to bring up on the past two podcasts, because we've gone long and we've gone long on this one, but I'll bring it up anyway. It's not your problem. We already right? committed. AMC. Let's do it. <laughs> AMC and Regal Cinemas uh, basically are boycotting Universal uh, for showing, essentially for showing trolls uh, online instead of adhering to uh, a theater schedule. We're mad and, that you made money. Yeah, that's that's really what it comes <laughs> down to. Is I, I think I think theaters are, are are seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, and it's kind of scaring the shit out of them. Um, personally. Yeah, uh, I think it's a bad idea on both ends to boycott Universal. Uh, mm. Universal is going to lose money if it stays that way, and so is you know AMC and uh, Regal. Oh. <laughs> uh, Regal's taking a little bit of a backseat to it. They're like, oh well, we're we're upset, but we're not committing to anything. And uh, AMC is just like, yeah, we're not going to show your movies at our theaters. I'm going to take my ball and go home. Uh, but meanwhile, <laughs> go ahead. I, I was going to say. Isn't AMC filing for bankruptcy or really close to it at this point? I don't I know. Just, I was just about to bring that yeah. up. I'm pretty sure that they said that AMC was AMC has been trying to fight off like hostile takeovers yeah. from other uh, other film or theater companies yeah. for a while. And, and I thought I didn't so, hear anything uh, from Cinemark, and they're they've been hammered as far as their yeah, stock price yeah. goes. And, and I thought that uh, Amazon, I think, was trying to buy them out too. Uh, AMC wouldn't surprise me. Um, yeah. You know, so yeah, I mean, as far as universal like, yeah, well, it, it, and it's funny cause the last time I was on, we had talked about trolls and, uh, and yeah. it turned out it did really well. I mean, yeah. you know, nowhere near the box yeah. office, a yeah, hundred, hundred million. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Nowhere near the box office that it would, would have been, um, if it had been released in theaters, but universal gets to keep a lot more of that money. Uh, yeah, yeah, it made back its it made back its uh its production cost. Yeah, and uh, a lot of that, and and like you said, more of that most of that money goes back into Universal's pocket. Yeah, uh, I don't so, think I don't think Universal is ready to uh, commit to doing 
digital home theater releases all the time. No, but they are trying to and, make uh, money during this whole thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and it only makes but, sense. But you don't but, hear uh, AMC boycotting Warner Brothers for coming out with Scoob. Right. <laughs> Which I watched. Um, so when, when we get the reviews, I did watch that last night. Sweet. So did we. <laughs> nice. Yep. But yeah, it's 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 an interesting stance. I think personally, AMC probably needs to pipe the fuck down and keep <laughs> keep your business. The fuck down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody does. <laughs> so listeners in reviews, we, you know, like Steve just said, we we had watched Scoob. And uh, Steve, go ahead. Uh, what did you think about it? I mean, it wasn't anything spectacular, but it, it was a good Scooby-Doo movie. I mean, you know, my, my kids got, oh, my, my daughter in particular has really gotten into Scooby-Doo, a um, bunch of the old cartoons. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so, yeah, we were all excited to, to watch it. And it, I mean, it didn't disappoint as far as being a, a Scooby-Doo movie and, you know, uh, being true to the original. And, you know, there were some, some, uh, jokes in there that uh, particularly hit home um you know especially the one about the uh, hair and the food uh yeah. a- amanda you know that's like amanda's biggest pet peeve and uh you know as soon as they said it, you know if it's anything over zero i don't want to know uh <laughs> yeah. but uh yeah no it was, it was it was enjoyable um definitely something that uh, the kids enjoy and were watching and and easily entertained and I mean, again, another family-oriented type movie released, so that I can only I only have to pay twenty bucks for the family to to watch. Um, I'm, yeah, <clears throat> I mean, def- definitely worth worth the money. So Miles already knows this because I put my my review to the guys online or on uh on our chat. Uh it was I I, I agree with the fact that like, it was it was entertaining. It was it was funny. Uh, has really good comedic or comedic humor. It's good in that aspect. It's not a Scooby Doo movie. <laughs> um, it really isn't. It's a it's a Hanna Barbera reunion film. Um, now, when you say it's not a Scooby Doo movie, you're referring to it's it doesn't follow the typical archetype. Yeah, it, of it's Scooby-Doo it's not movies. it's not really a Scooby Doo movie. There's no mystery for them to really solve. It doesn't follow. Uh, it doesn't track with like what I've known as what I've known for Scooby Doo movies for the past thirty years. Yeah, uh, actually 30, you know, way more than 30 years since I was a kid. Uh, I mean, the whole thing with like uh, the the initial mystery disappears almost immediately in the film when you find out who it's a, who who is the main bad guy. So it became more of this reunion film with other characters from their universe. You know, you had Captain Falcon, you had uh, Dick Dastardly, you had Muggsley, you had Dynamite. Um, it is just the you know captain caveman it was it, it wasn't a, it didn't make it a bad movie it was just one of those things of well if i had known that it was going to go this route my expectations for it would have been a little bit different so uh it was you know i still found it entertaining i you know i laughed at a, at a lot of good jokes um they did a lot of great fan service to uh scooby doo fans of just bringing up old stuff and stylizing certain things. I mean, they, they did a cool rendition of the original Scooby-Doo opener. That was, uh, that was entertaining to see. Yeah. And, um, I felt like for the majority of, uh, of the film, most of the cast was, was well picked. They did a good job of 
the new iteration of characters, the the changes to like how characters were were. I mean, Dynamite was completely different than he is in the original cartoons, uh, but it was still enjoyable. He was still funny. He was he was a good uh, sarcastic character to have <clears throat> to accompany uh, Mark Wahlberg's version of uh, the Blue, Blue Falcon. Falcon, and yeah. uh, you know finding out that you know why why it's a different kind of blue falcon than we we're used to is great they did a good job of transitioning that over uh but there are some things that i felt were kind of off uh i think that will uh will Forte is it forte is that how you say his name yeah i think um, so uh will forte who plays shaggy i think that was a bad choice uh he doesn't do a terrible job he brings his own kind of thing to shaggy but he's in my opinion he's more 30% Shaggy, 70% Jason Biggs. And it, it, because of that, like it's very noticeably not Shaggy. And that's the kind of, that's the kind of line where he was, he like even himself, like in an interview said that he was worried about that. Like when they, when he was talking to the director of, I, you know, I don't really do a good Shaggy impression. The director's like, Oh no, it doesn't need to be a direct Shaggy impression. And then the director goes, but it, you know, it is an iconic character. So be, be aware of that. And uh, it's kind of one of those things of like, yeah, uh, you know, uh, don't worry about that. Just don't fuck up. Well, (laughs) well, I just told you I can't do that. (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) And because of the way he, the way that he addresses Shaggy or the character of Shaggy, it's very noticeably not Shaggy. Uh, He barely says like in a lot of sentences to start off his sentences. And you know that that's an iconic thing from the character. And even though they poke fun of the, saying like is you know an older you know like like a middle-aged man trying to do an impression of a of a teenage hippie uh that was a good joke at the same time i sat there going but he doesn't say like like almost the entire film (laughs) (laughs) but after about 30 minutes of of him not being shaggy i was like oh it's it's still fun it's still entertaining i'll I'll still go with it it's still a good story uh uh, i'll move along and then they came to the like uh, listeners i do want to say at this point like in the film like at that point when i had just kind of gotten over that I would say it was like at a four out of five stars. If I were to give it a rating, I like, I was enjoying the movie. The humor was really good. Uh, and then they got to captain caveman and that knocked off half a star because it's Tracy Morgan <laughs> and Tracy Morgan. What talk about a terrible choice for casting for one, uh, one, I can't stand the guy and he was oddly not his usual, uh, annoying self in the film but he does have the wrong tone for captain caveman and the way that they did captain caveman. And I'm not blaming Tracy Morgan solely for this. I feel, I feel like the writing for captain caveman was off as well. Uh, It's just not captain caveman. It's evolution man or caveman cool. Like that's, it's not captain caveman. Like it's not the captain caveman that we remember that flew and had the cape and was ridiculous from my childhood, but was still super entertaining because he was so goofy. So that, that was kind of a misstep in my opinion. It's funny you bring it up. Cause as, as we were watching it, you know, we, you know, man is like, is that him? I was like, well, it doesn't have the cape. I think it's him. Uh, I, I right? don't, you know? And then, then he said the line, I was like, well, the line's off a little bit, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, I sat there. I'm like, the guy, the guy who does the voice for Tigger is still alive. Why aren't you using him? <laughs> uh, the the guy who does the voice for Tigger now is the same. It would would has the same vo- or vocal infliction that uh, used for Captain Caveman from the originals. Yeah. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, why, why wouldn't you reuse that? 
but it, it that that brings up the whole conversation like why wouldn't you reuse the original cast that's still around or that's still doing cartoon the the, the regular cartoons for scooby-doo and i get that they were trying to make a new tone and and stuff like that and some people are saying well it's it's a reboot it's not really a reboot it's a if it's a reboot it's a badly done reboot because there's nothing after this there's no there's not going to be a cartoon continuation of this after this film uh, like I, I don't think it's going to do or i don't think it's going to create a new franchise of scooby-doo movies uh or even scooby-doo cartoons because they currently have a cartoon that's running called scooby-doo guess who yep. so are they you know where where are they going with this it, it, for for one point it felt like a reboot like a almost like a reboot of a pilot uh, that's going to turn into a cartoon, kind of like what they did with uh, Star Wars Clone Wars back in the day, where they had the pilot air, it was the it was the movie in theaters, and then they created the cartoon based off of that. But at the same time, it feels like, well, you guys are trying trying to create a new franchise that's leading to something that looks like it's rehashing old adventures, but I don't think you guys are going to do that. So where is, where is this actually heading? So in, in the end, I end up saying, oh, it's about three and a half stars out of five. It was still really like don't get me wrong, this it was still really really entertaining, and for a Scooby Doo, and, and keep in mind, I'm saying three and a half three and a half out of five stars for a Scooby Doo movie. Yep. <laughs> saying I'm I'm basing this off of versus other Scooby Doo movies, not not based off of you know I'm not comparing it all to like cinema. Les Mis or yeah. all cinema. <laughs> I, I'm just I'm I'm comparing it to just in that universe. So, but three out of five is not bad. Or, you know three three out of five three point five out of five is not bad. I mean that. That's still an enjoyable film. I've known plenty of movies that you know were were three out of five versus the other films in their franchise, and I still consider them decent <laughs> and enjoyable, worth owning. So I would say this one's worth owning. It, it was fun. What do you think, Miles? Yeah, definitely. Uh, as a big Scooby Doo fan uh, growing up, uh, and even still, like uh, we we would yeah. Let's just really there. quick. I want to point out that I'm older than Miles. <laughs> and I grew up with more Scooby. It was more likely for me to grow up with Scooby Doo than him, but he had the benefit of living in Germany. Yeah, for, for where the eighties like lasted for years. like two decades. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean that was that was everything. You know, that was cartoons. You know, I yeah. watched the shit out of them. Um, and yeah, I, I big fan of Scooby Doo. And so when this was first uh, teased, when it was first trailer was dropped, I was like, ah, I was like it it looks okay. I was like, but you know, we had the whole thing of Matthew Lillard, not reprising his role as Shaggy and the fallout that came from that. Yeah. And I was like, well, it's a Scooby-Doo movie. I'm still going to give it a shot. And like, I'm just going to go in with lower expectations. Um, yeah. So when, when we, when we sat down and watched this, uh, I, I had low expectations. And so thankfully those were blown out of the water, uh, comparatively. Um, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. It it wasn't the Scooby Doo movie we would have liked to have had, uh, but it was definitely a lot of fun. Uh, and I don't know if I could see them doing another movie based off of this particular setup or not. Yeah. But I do kind of like the little Hanna Barbera love letter of it, uh, what it was. Um, yeah. There was a couple missed opportunities uh comedically and and animation wise that you know could have been nice little notes to put yeah, in there the the scooby the the one miss of scooby going <laughs> like laughing and then saying i don't get it yeah <laughs> not getting one of shaggy's jokes yeah. um 
it would have been really great if they had like just a brief um, maybe during like one of the chase scenes where it was just limited animation. So you had the repeating mm-hmm. background. And unfortunately, that doesn't happen in. in uh, yeah, in I was kind of but... hoping that was going to take place, especially <laughs> during the uh, when they were talking about Shaggy and uh, and Scooby running from uh, I, when they're running away from the creature uh, in the movie. Uh, yeah. I was kind of expecting that, like the the let's let's do, do the close up of them running, and it's just the same repeating background for no reason. And that that chasing was really short too, uh, right? which is yeah. uh, much shorter than you would typically get out of any Scooby Doo scene. Um, yeah, but it was a lot of fun. I I enjoyed all the characters except for Captain Caveman uh, because mostly because Tracy Morgan. But in the of the plethora of characters in the Hanna Barbera universe. Like, don't get me wrong. I like Captain Caveman, but out of all the characters you could have thrown in there as a, as you know, essentially uh, a guest appearance. Reference. Yeah, you chose Captain Caveman. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I don't know. It's it's a small gripe, but I mean, it, it, like I said, it was a lot of fun. I would totally watch it again. I was gonna say something in the middle of yours, but I got like, I, but I didn't want to interrupt you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so now I forgot what it was. <laughs> of course, I'll think about it while I'm while I'm doing the end. I'm like, God damn it. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, listeners, if you're if you're thinking about getting it or you know renting it, it's worth it. It's worth the rent. It's worth the buy. Uh, it's definitely you know an enjoyable film. It's better than the you know, it's better than the the WWE uh, Scooby Doo mysteries or, or the uh, the Kiss one. Um, I consider those the low bar for, uh, for Scooby-Doo movies, but yeah. Uh, oh, it was the, when you, when you brought up Matthew Lillard, not reprising his role, I do have to say hats off to, to Lillard for the amount of support that he's actually given the movie. He was, he was very disappointed in the fact that he wasn't going to be playing Shaggy and a lot of people were really pissed off about it. But when the movie came out, I mean, he even tweeted like, I hope it does really well. Get, you know, telling fans, give it a shot. Uh, you know, it's, it's, he said, it's his old, you know, his old pal Scoob, he, you know, even said that he was looking forward to seeing it. Right. So I was like, man, you know, well, th- that's a class act right there when you're willing to sit there. Like, granted, he works in the industry and you, know, you kind of have to have you kind of have to be nice to everybody in Hollywood, even if you're not really want to be nice to everybody. Uh, but he, you know, he put that out there. I was like, well, that's that's really, really kind of him to to say that. And and like you said, Will Forte didn't do a bad job. Um, no. You know, he. It's, he's not the ideal choice and, and that's prevalent, but overall he, he still did fine. I was, I was okay with it. Yeah. Hey listeners, uh, one last review to go over. I'm sorry. I have to throw this in after I've already, after he already recorded. So you're not going to hear the guy's reaction while I'm doing this, but, uh, we were sent review code by Z over at Serenity Forge for a game called Never Song. And since the game comes out this week, I felt it was important for me to actually play the game and get a review in before the episode for this podcast drops. That way we're not a week late. So Neversong was developed by Atmos Games and Serenity Forge. It's a platforming, what I would consider a platforming role adventure game, not necessarily an RPG, but you are playing a role in the game. And it's kind of akin to games from my past, much like Metroid or Zelda 2: The Adventures of Link. If you've played those, you kind of have a feel of what you're getting into in this. But I will say that the controls are a little more fluid than they used to be in the past. I mean, if you've, you know, you've played those games and you go back to those games, they're not 
exactly smooth sometimes and things aren't always totally uh, thought out, especially like when it comes to like puzzles and stuff like that. So that's an improvement. Now, the funny thing is that I actually sat there going, you know, I try to keep track of what Serenity Forge is doing. They're, you know, one of our favorite indie developers. In fact, I started playing their games listeners before any of the guys ever met Z from Serenity Forge. And I was kind of a fan before then. So when you tend to find a publisher or a developer, especially now that you enjoy their games, you try to keep track of the stuff they're doing. And I said, they're going, how have I missed this? How did I never hear about this? And uh, even, you know, even when Z sent me the the code, I sat there going, never song. I'm like, what is that? Well, it turns out I had heard of it. <laughs> it was called Once Upon a Coma prior to that. And uh, when I looked it up and, and saw the, the art style, I was like, oh, okay. I was like, I remember seeing this a long time ago. I'm pretty sure it started on Kickstarter and it looked interesting then. I thought, you know, this, this looks cool. And I was right. The, the look is very cool. The art style that's chosen for the game carries both a unique quality and it also feels kind of reminiscent. Like you, you've seen it before, you know, you've seen this, but as a gamer, you're probably not going to be thinking that the entire time. It still feels very unique while you're playing it. And I think that's helpful when you're playing it because it's allowing you to feel comfortable while playing it. But at the same time, the style and the way that things are presented, coloring and everything like that has this overlapping eerie feeling throughout the the opener for the game says it all kind of just how this is going to how this is going to go. But it's important to note that while the game may appear to be appealing to kids, its subject matter is actually very grown up. So if you have a kid and they're under like 12 or 13, you may want to play this first so that you can talk about it with them or understand the uh, emotional content that's going to be in there and the themes. Uh, and if, you know, if they have a hard time with it, you can actually talk about it and express things with them. Listeners, I know you're probably thinking, you know, what the hell, you know, seriously, you know, or, you know, for Christ's sake, what, you know, what the hell could this, <laughs> could this be? And I honestly can't really tell you what it is that it has to deal with specifically because it'll just give away too much of the story. So just trust me, it's there's even an advisory at the beginning of the game that tries to, you know, prepare you. Uh, So that said, this game is extremely good at how it conveys those themes of loss and love and tells an emotional story that I generally don't come to expect from most indie titles. Most indie titles are, you know, they're just there to have fun. They're there for the gameplay. You're there to, to be entertained. And they don't always necessarily want to tell you a emotional story for you to get invested in characters or anything like that. And uh, this one, you know, does that. I mean, I, you know, I kind of should know better by now with Serenity Forge, but still uh, at the same time, when you hear indie, you don't think, oh, they're going to tell me an emotionally compelling story. And uh, that's not the case here. They, they absolutely go for it. They, they're they're going to go for the heartstrings and they do a good job of, of trying to tug at them. Now, at the end of this journey, are you going to end up bawling your eyes out and sitting there going, why did I play this? Uh, no. I mean, you, you might cry. I don't know uh, if you're if you're really sensitive to stuff. I, you might end up shedding a tear. But overall, uh, it was a satisfying ending and. It doesn't go out of its way to try to make you feel depressed and to sit there and go, I, you know, I hate life or anything like that. 
you can have, this goes back to a conversation listeners that we actually had in another podcast of you can have sad elements in a story that also gives you hope. And that's something that I feel a lot of storytellers don't really understand that you can have these sad things take place. You can have emotional things take place without taking away people's hope. But this game does try to give you the feels. It will try to make you empathize. You know, I, I, at the end of it, I was completely satisfied with how it ended. I was completely satisfied with the, uh, the story that it told, which brings me to like writing the, the writing for it is well done. The voice acting is, is really well done. I think it's hysterical to me that now the indie games, uh, have gotten to this point, like even, even when they started out that their voice acting is better than PS one era. And they are working on, you know, at, at the time when, when PlayStation one started coming out, voice acting was awful. And if you don't believe me, go look at resident evil, <laughs> uh, resident evil and resident evil like two have just terrible lines and terribly red lines. And it, it seems like at the time they were given better budgets than when indie developers are working on today. And yet indie developers are actually able to provide better content and better voice acting and better storytelling than what we got back then from AAA developers. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of interesting. I thought that was kind of funny to, to sit there and go, man, like really like we've, we've come really far and I'm appreciative of that, but how is it that they couldn't do that back then? <laughs> and yet you have these small studios able to do that now, but regardless, it is something that is, that's to be noted that it's well voice acted. I actually didn't expect to have voice acting. Um, the first time somebody or a character started speaking, I was like, oh, well, this isn't going to happen all the time. And for the majority of the game, they actually do. And uh, they did a wonderful job with it. Moving on to gameplay, uh, a single playthrough is probably going to take you about three to four hours, depending on how talented you are at platforming and puzzle solving. Um, I'm not very talented when it comes to platforming anymore. Uh, I just I, I, I don't know if I ever really was even as a kid. But I enjoyed the gameplay and I thought that the controls and everything were very intentionally designed to be understood very quickly, really without the need of a bunch of tutorials. And that's the best way to do things is when you don't have to have tutorials that explain everything or they don't have to remind you every 10 seconds the, of how to do something, that's wonderful. I think that's, that's, that's some of the best ways to, to make your game. And in addition to that, one of the things that they take advantage of is that when you have conversations with other characters within the game, they tell you about mechanics that you can use in order to get past certain sections. And it doesn't just beat you over the head with it. And there's a reason for that. It's designed to be like some of the old school titles. And I, I've seen some people who have reviewed this because it's already available on iOS devices. And some people are complaining, not necessarily about the tutorials or the lack of the tutorials, but they're complaining about control schemes because they're not using a controller. And in reality, that's kind of a non-issue. You're complaining about a game that is available on iOS, but it's designed primarily for Apple Arcade. So it's designed primarily to be played with a controller. So there's a little bit of a disconnect and people sit there and go, oh, well, what am I supposed to do? Why doesn't this work exactly how it should? Well, it's not designed for that system. It's designed to be used with a controller. But I mean, you know, is the gameplay perfect? 
No, it, it has some inertia issues where the character will take like one extra step too far. It doesn't stop immediately like you're used to on some other platformers. But once you get used to how the controls and movement work, you, you get used to it pretty quickly and you kind of go with, okay, these are the systems that I have to work with. It's not like you hold off the controller and or the direction and he takes like 18 more steps or keeps walking. He takes an extra step and it slows down and he just kind of has this kind of kind of inertia feeling to it. I will say there were times where I was getting frustrated because of the fact that I probably wasn't talented enough to do some things and I wasn't figuring out or I wasn't figuring out things properly. Um, but I also found myself backtracking through areas to try and unlock extra things and trying to get to some hidden areas that were more difficult to get to or really weren't part of the main game and were absolutely designed to, oh, if you want to uncover this, you're going to have to do a little bit extra work. So that's, you know, that's on me <laughs> for, for trying to do that extra stuff. Was the game overly difficult? No, to be honest, the boss fights were relatively tame. They were a lot tamer than I thought they would be. And the game part of that is because the gameplay is so well thought out and designed around like, hey, this mechanic is worked, you know, works here. This mechanic works here. Really, the only challenge that I absolutely found in the game was when I had to face the final boss and final bosses are supposed to be challenging. You know, I died a few times because I couldn't figure figure out like the, the pattern that would that would happen. But once I figured out the pattern, I was able to kill the boss and and move on to the ending. And that comes to replayability. Are you encouraged to replay the game? Well, yeah, actually, at the end of the game, I unlocked a key that I could use. And it says, you know, this is available forever. That creates a nice incentive to like, hey, I'm going to go back. I'm actually going to go through it again. And even some of the achievements are, you know, in there of like, you know, don't die. Those kind of things like, you know, very Ori <laughs> and the Will of the Wisps kind of oriented of, you know, go through the entire thing without dying. Only difference is, is that I can actually, I could actually probably obtain that goal in this game versus Ori where there's no freaking way <laughs> because the difficulty level for that game is ludicrously high. In my opinion, I feel like never song is a much more friendly uh, gameplay uh, and that's intentional. They want you to experience a story more than give you a ton of challenge that makes you frustrated and makes you not want to play. So, that is something that I think some developers really miss in the fact that some developers look at it and say, oh, we have to create a challenge. Well, yeah, but challenge, a lot of the times challenge should be optional. Like I, I, some people just want to experience a story. I want to experience a story most of the time. I don't want a, a game to be so challenging that it breaks my will to finish it. That's absolutely insane and ridiculous. And Neversong doesn't actually create that kind of scenario. I wanted to finish through it. I wanted to get through it. And I got through it in one sitting. Uh, I, those are nice stories. I like that, you know, where I can actually sit down and be like, okay, you know, I'm going to get my gameplay in. I can get through this. I enjoy it. It doesn't just feel like a one and done, but I do feel like, hey, I finished it. I can go on to something else after this. And if I want to come back, I can come back. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. Games have gotten to this point where we've decided that everything should be infinitely playable and that we should want to play them over and over and over again instantly after we finish them. And that's kind of ridiculous. And it's good to see that indie developers are keeping that in mind of we want to just make games games. We want to make them enjoyable. We want to make them experiences that you have, but they don't have to live on forever. 
So at this point in the review, you can probably see where I'm going with this, but listeners, we usually do our reviews based off of the recommendation of should you buy it or not? Absolutely. It's absolutely a buy. The nice thing is that it's already available on Apple Arcade. If you have Apple Arcade and you just want to try out some good games and see what it's like, this is a good game to try. This is a great game to try. You should absolutely use that service to get, to, to get a hold of it and play it. But if you were part of the PC crowd and you refuse to use the Apple Arcade system, which I refuse to use the Apple Arcade system, I totally understand. But if you're in that group, this is a game worth owning on Steam. This is a game worth buying. And if you are a console owner and you were hoping that this game comes to console, well, Serenity Forge has never really left the console crowd in the dark. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see this come out on the at least the Nintendo Switch because the Nintendo Switch is actually a great platform for a lot of indie titles. And they already have a lot of their own titles on the Nintendo Switch. So don't be surprised if you see it pop up later on. But this is a beautifully crafted story with a lot of heart and soul and is absolutely worth the buy. So it's available on Steam on May 20th. That's this Wednesday and is already available on Apple Arcade. So pick it up. Give it a play. So anything else to bring up this week, guys, as we almost hit three hours? (laughs) (laughs) I know. I just uh, was uh, (laughs) told that we were at uh, three hours. Not so subtly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. Uh, well, we appreciate you giving you giving your time. Oh no, absolutely. So, uh, thank, thank you for um, having me on again. Absolutely, listeners. Thank you for listening to us. We really do appreciate it. Please go on Facebook, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter if you want to keep your Twitter account. If you want to get rid of your Twitter account, we highly recommend you get rid of it, uh, or at least take a break. It's going to be really health, like really helpful for your mental health. Trust us. <laughs> Follow us on podbean.com if you don't like iTunes. If you do like iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please tell your friends about us. It's pretty much the only way we get around. This is Vargo. Miles. Steve. Keep on geeking on. And we're out.